It does because it's a who, not how, right? So then you you get trapped into the same situation of when I decide to buy five houses and go, well, I can have these guys do the demo and this guy can do the paint and this guy can do the drywall and these guys and these guys. And all I have to do is set the cabinets, do the tile and do all the finish work. Well, then you end up with four houses at the same time. All need the, all of the finish work and you're the only one that can do all, it. Yeah, all different or schedules. And- you've convinced yourself. That you're right, different schedules that you're the only one that can do it. Except different schedules only last so long. Eventually they're literally all in the same schedule. Every house has twenty things that are all waiting on you. And you're <laughs> and you're trying to keep two or three guys busy and everything's waiting on you. Welcome to Rhea Radio, episode fifty eight with Chris Coleman. How's that? <laughs> It's so extra. <laughs> Chris, you want you want to give a shot? What? You want to give it the intro shot there? Yeah, this is the uh, Omaha Rear Radio, and I'm Chris. I'm this week's guest. Hello. This is going to be What's Up? You got to also give the episode number. Lame. Right? Oh, 58, and you're in the witching hour. Oh, okay. Ooh, that's a whole new voice. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. <laughs> Your other personality came out to play. It's Friday. <laughs> I'm feeling old and fashioned. <laughs> You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. Owen, the man, the myth, the legend, the man to the right. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, man. Uh, finally, fall weather. Uh, what like went from 96 degrees to whatever it is today, 60 something. I was supposed to close a pool like two weeks ago, and I, I saw those like 100 degree yeah. temperatures coming. I'm like, just gonna keep up for that one extra swim. And now I'm like, and now I'm sitting here, and I'll probably be another two weeks before I can get the pool. You're, closed. you're kicking yourself for not not taking care of and it I, at the time. And I hate being the pool boy. I really do. <laughs> Jessica loves it though with those short shorts you wear. <laughs> the, the, the ones that you bought me, I love yeah. those. Yeah. Tommy John. Jessica always loves a pool boy, but I'm not going to allow her to hire somebody else. So. Right. Yeah. You got to do your job, man. That's yeah. You're the in-house pool boy. There we go. Well, I'm actually trying to train my son to be the pool boy. So I, I pay him to change the filters. And if there's something dead in the filters, I give him $5. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. Because uh, we, we pulled a bat out. You know, there was a, we, we were gone on vacation. I guess a whole family of baby bunnies jumped in over two days. Oh, that's too bad. The, yeah. So, I mean, there's always something in the filters. Huh. I heard I was talking to the the pool guy once and I was like, What's the worst thing you found in there? He's like, Oh, we had a full deer jump into a pool on the field and it sat and in it there drowned? for like a week. Yeah. Oh man. And uh, he goes, It bloated and you have to bring a crane in to get it out. I'm like, I, I'm like, no, thank you. No, yeah, let's change topics. <laughs> uh, who? So you mentioned you met with uh you had a good meeting this week. So, yeah, so uh I so I'm trying to really dig into the whole short-term rental even further okay um you know so by in the next probably 90 days i'll be up to a point where i'm i'm at uh nine short-term rent or eight short-term rentals and uh i'm just trying to make sure that my systems are the best systems right okay and uh we had ryan miller on on the show and you know he's very automated and i was kind of blown away by it so i invited a, i invited a uh, had a little cigar meeting and uh, so we, we met at my favorite cigar spot, and I, I invited uh, Ryan Miller down, and I invited uh, Austin Compton, and also Michael Freed. Mm-hmm. And so we all manage or have our own Airbnbs, 
And I thought it'd just be a good little mastermind sesh. So Ryan comes out and he's got like literally Ryan's been on a few podcasts before. He comes out with a full diagram of his whole flow of his business, you know, his processes and procedures. I'm like just blown away. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. And I'm right now I'm just trying to suck it in. Like all the podcasts I'm listening to right now are all about short term rentals. The okay. Bo- the books I'm reading right now are all short term rentals. I'm, I, I just want to master this category. Um, it's a proven success that, you know, I can do this here in Omaha, Nebraska. And, you know, eventually I'd like to be able to expand out and actually get some vacation houses as I'm trying to do this. But this is this is my niche right now. Not saying I, can, I can't transition right into rental properties very easily and still make it fine. But this is very lucrative for me and I, I need to do it. So we just had a great sesh. Um, I'm going to try to do this every few weeks and, and, and grow my business, grow the people around me. And and keep on you know streaming the systems that we're, we're using. Uh, but uh, I'm growing it. I'll let you guys, I'll let you know how it how it comes and how it uh, flourishes. You mentioned the word niche. I'm so glad you don't call it niche. Do you know anyone that does that? That is a super. You call it niche. Denless uses the word niche. Why? Please and, don't. And, do and that it probably anymore. sounds really funny when he says it. Say it. Say it. Lean in. Say it. No. (laughs) Dramatic lean in and says no. Uh, Anyway, yeah. Niche. Don't like that word at all. Yeah. Well, you have, you're really weird with your words. I am. Yeah. Moist, (laughs) niche. No. Buy box. Yeah. Yeah. Pick your brain. brain. I just don't like any of those. Somebody posted something about picking a brain on something. I know. I saw it. I go, I go, I'm hagging. I go, Oh, and is uh, storage units in your buy box? <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Uh, you know there's a lot of people listening because I think we got like seven, eight, nine, ten uh, little <laughs> smiley laughs. faces laughs yeah. on that. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're the worst. <laughs> oh, man. It's nothing but love for you, buddy. <laughs> well, today we had Chris Coleman on. We did. And what do you think about that? Dude, I love Chris Coleman. He uh, He's done really cool stuff. And it, oh, he's like a jack of all trades. He's a contractor. He's done uh, like Airbnbs. He's done long-term rentals. He's done flips. He's uh, like bought his mom a house in Lincoln. Uh, he drove, uh, almost killed his entire family driving to Florida, which you'll hear about in the uh, in the episode. <laughs> uh, crazy story w- uh, involving Hurricane Katrina and so forth. But uh, I, yeah, I, I literally had somebody reach out to me right after uh, the, that we did a lot quick live video stream on that uh-huh. one. And uh, they're like, they go, uh, how did he look? And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Like, well, he was working on Owen's property till seven in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, so he hasn't gone to bed yet. Yeah. He, <laughs> which I, he, yeah, he did not bring that up until I asked him because I knew he was going to like, Brandon was busting his chops about uh, basically getting the house done in time for the cleaners to be there so we could list it. And he never said anything, but he went out and got a cot and sl- basically took it to the property and worked all night on it. And then uh, like maybe crash for an hour or two or whatever. Yeah. Just cool. I mean, who does that? Like you hope, you hope people that do that for you, but nobody does anymore. So props to him for that. But yeah, Chris Coleman, great dude. Um, He's just fun to listen to. He's done so many different things and he's just a smart guy. He figures it out. He came into the podcast. He's like, I think the value that I'm going to bring, be able to bring to the people is my mistakes I made. He goes, uh, and you'll find in this failing forward, it's probably, you know, the, you know, one of the more dramatic failing forwards that we had where there, there's some heart and passion behind it. And, uh, he's growing for me. I know for a fact when we call him a year from now that he's going to be in a whole different place. And, yeah. And, and he's got nowhere to go but up. 
Yeah. No, just yeah, good good guy, fun episode. You'll uh you guys are gonna enjoy this. Yeah. Well before we get into it, let's get into today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. All right, today's golden nugget. So long term holds. I know you have mentioned this in particular about your uh, 24th Street corridor here in Omaha on the south side. You mentioned that there's a lot of uh, there's a new bus line that's going to be planned or going to be implemented. There's a lot of rumor. Yeah. New development growth that's going to happen. That's a rumor. So, So here here's what I wanted to mention to those of you out there who are trying to figure out what the right part of town to buy in is. Contact your city planning, uh, you know, agency or your your city planning department, and talk to them about what basically the the plans are for you know the next developments that are going to happen you around just, the city. You can just make that phone call. Yeah, you could just make the phone call and, and sit on hold for a while. And sit on hold for a while. Yeah, but you'll you'll be able to get a hold of somebody eventually. But you can find out a lot about what your city development is going to look like, and then you can make decisions based on where you want your properties to be located. So, have you like, done this? Well, I haven't, but I know people who have. Okay, and I, I mention this because, like, uh, Brandon, my my partner in Red Ladder, we've started to really concentrate on the Med Center area, which a lot of people love. Uh, the Med Center in Omaha is U- University of Nebraska Medical Center, and they are investing in uh, basically growing the hospital and and building two gigantic towers that are going to be about two billion dollars. They're going to add, I think, ten thousand jobs. Over the next, we'll, we'll call it five years, ten years, something like that. But we're really wanting to zero in on that area because it's going to be, um, you know, really good appreciation. I think cash flow is going to be great. Um, you're going to have medical professionals uh, that are going to be looking for housing around there, so a lot of good, you know, potential tenants. Uh, but I think you're not going to know those kind of things unless you talk to people that are in the know about, you know, how the city's going to roll out. Right. Yeah, I I love the area, and I've been directing a lot of people to that area specifically about that because you got to follow the growth, right? That's right. Yep. So, well, let's without any further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Chris, Chris Coleman. Coleman. So, Chris, it's great to have you on the podcast. I, first question is, do you own a Har- Harley? Uh, no, I uh, have a Yamaha. Yamaha, close. You just seem like a Harley guy. Yeah, it looks great. like a Harley, but it's not. Okay, so you're, you do got a bike, so I was kind of right on. I stereotyped you very well. Yeah, you did. Uh, I just can't. Stomach springing the money for what they want for some of the Harleys. <laughs> I, get it, I go yeah. the budget. Did route. you ever have a motorcycle, Ted? I so I, I was gonna go buy one, and I literally went to the shop to buy it. I had my girlfriend with me at the time, and I looked at her. I'm like, I'm like, we can get this bike, and I, and I have the I have the cash on me. I go, I, or do you think we should save this and get, put it towards a wedding ring? Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll push the wedding ring down a little bit. And uh, so Jessica said, uh, "Nope, get the ring." That was- <laughs> <laughs> That was perfect that was delivery. Just, oh, that, that, was was a plot, perfect that was a plot delivery. twist. You there, my girlfriend. Nice. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So, so, so I was this close. I never had a motorcycle. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I had. I always wanted a four wheeler really, really bad when I was a kid. I never got one. No, man. Thanks, so, Dad. So my redneck neighbor used to haul me around on his four wheeler on the back of it and would scare the life out of me, man. And to this day, I think that's the reason that I don't like riding <laughs> with other people in the car. Yeah, I have to be driving, or I'm not. Interested. Interesting. I, I swear that's it. See, my parents were always really against getting a motorcycle because my grandfather got pinned and uh, and uh, lost his leg on a on a motorcycle, but he refused to cut it off. So he had like a dead leg for for you know, it's purple and black forever. And so my grandma and my my mom were always like, or not my mom, but my grandma was always like super against it. And then my mom rode a motorcycle, and that growing up, we got in a motorcycle accident, and she rode rashed really bad. And so we've had a couple of motorcycle stories over the years. I can't, 
I, I think I just blanked out after you said he had a dead leg. Had a dead for, leg. Like, how long was he walking around with a gangrenous the, leg? To the what? day he died. What? Yeah, like, you know, 10 years ago or so. And that happened when could he was like in the 30s. Could he hold weight on it? To my, yeah, no, you could walk on it. It was, but it was, it was, his foot was black. Cause I remember when I first met him, he lived in Brazil. And when I went to Brazil to visit him uh, in 96, uh, you know, his, his leg was exposed. And I heard about the story, but I'd never seen it. And it was, it was black. And I, and could he, he do any like cool party tricks, like stick a knife all the no, way dude, in? He could walk on it. He could walk on it. Yeah, this is but a I weekend mean, at it, Bernie's, man. <laughs> <laughs> It was the craziest thing I ever saw, and I, I didn't even know that. that Dude, was, I, I was just picturing like Halloween. You if just I could totally mess with kids that come up and be like, oh, stab yeah. your own leg or whatever, or just like hurt. leave it, leave it hanging out of the scarecrow <laughs> on the porch. <laughs> well, he never told me he couldn't feel or anything, but it was it was a, it was black. It was it was pretty gross. If I could walk gross. and stand on it, I don't know if I'd cut it off either. Yeah, that'd be a tough decision, I think. Then let's what say you? Especially no? then, what year are we talking no, no about? No amputations. Because we're, th- we're like biasing modern day prosthetics, so this right? So this would, this would happen in the uh, late 60s, early 70s oh, probably. yeah, you got to keep it. And he's a, he's a full-time chef. Yep. <laughs> wow, tasty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can't wear shorts. I know. Like, I got, got a pirate in the kitchen with one leg cooking up your oh, souffle. He, he, was a, he was a traveling chef. He cooked at the Waldorf in Chicago. He cooked at the Blackstone here in town. He oh, cool. ran, Really? He, the original Blackstone? And he ran, huh. he ran the, uh, um, the, uh, the only bohemian resort that was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that was ran by the Hilton family. Okay. So, uh, so the Bohemian Cafe, which is a local restaurant here, family went there and heard about this amazing food, and uh, and then they went there and they stayed for a total of two weeks and they provided green cards for the family to come for my mom's side of the family to come into the country. What? Yeah. And uh, here's a funny th- story. I didn't, I <laughs> This is crazy, man. Yeah, this the is golden like age a, of America, the hidden man. chapter of Ted Kosh's uh, lineage. So one thing my grandma told me once, she's like, just so you know, because uh, the Reuben sandwich came up and it was there's a hotel in Omaha called the Blackstone Hotel. And it, the Reuben uh, is supposedly came from this hotel. Right. And my, my uh, grandpa was a sous chef there at one time because they didn't allow, allow the foreigners to come in and be a head chef, you know, right off the start. And so he worked there uh, on the side. Well, grandma's like. Well, the, those Rubens, uh, that was grandpa's favorite sandwich. He made those all the time. He goes, that chef, and I told her about it, and she, you know, she has no idea about how big it is or anything like that. She's like, that chef would just put that on his menu, menu and take claim for it. So I'm like, I'm like, grandma, you mean that grandpa uh, created the, the Reuben? And she's like, yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm like, I go, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't have any. Are you, are you getting any royalties off of this? No, no. no passed down from the family. The head chef has the credit for it. How much it? money oh, can you geez. make on a bad idea? What? <laughs> That's like one of my favorite sandwiches. So when I found this out, I was super excited. That's like, what do we have left in the? Oh, there's some corned beef. Let's slap it on there. Oh, I spilled a bottle of a thousand this, island. This stinks. Oh, wow. Is that, that okay? Tastes, can we still eat this? We'll just put it on there. What's that oh, stuff? Man. That's sauerkraut. Oh, let's try that out. Rotten my cabbage. Perfect. This, yeah, it's like a three a.m. Uh, experiment that right. when everybody's hammered. See, that, I take the sauerkraut and I put it. I put it in with some thousand island. I cook that together and then I put that on smoked uh, corned beef. That sounds like a lot of work. Oh, so good. <laughs> Chris Coleman, it's been a long time coming, man. Um, yeah. Don't you have somewhere you're supposed to be, to be today? It's Friday. We're recording this. I need to be working on one of your houses. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit, but yeah. I was just kidding, giving you a hard time. No, but uh, yeah, happy Friday. Beautiful day here in Omaha again. And you're listening to this hopefully on a Wednesday morning. On a Wednesday it. morning, enjoying us. But we do record on Fridays. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's our end of the weekend extravagance. This is the thing we look forward to. 
And then relive next week. And, yeah. That's like a five-day well, weekend. Well, you'll re- you relive this in two weeks. Yeah. Oh, okay. so we, Same thing. And Even you can, better, you yeah. know, now I, I get to then, you know, discover again the conversation I had that I don't remember. So that's uh, typically how this goes. I just do a refresher. It's and a win-win. Yeah. We, we talk about this. We'll say that we'll be at the gym and uh, listen to our the podcast. I listen to the podcast in the mornings when I'm there. And then I'm like, and then I'm like oh, I, I, I got a good question. I got a good question. And then the question gets answered. I'm like, yes. <laughs> it's so funny how that, how that happens, too. Yeah. Uh, the life of a podcaster. Uh, Chris Coleman. <clears throat> Are you from Louisiana originally? No, Mississippi. Mississippi. Close. Yeah, Dang South it. Mississippi. What made you think that? I, you know, they're. I mean, they're right next by. to each other. Yeah. It's pretty close. Are you stereotyping him? Is that what? Is that what's happening? You're the no, one so that called right, out his so Harley maybe, look. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the first times I met Owen, I told him I was from Mississippi and I'd moved up here after Hurricane Katrina. So maybe that's everybody's association. Is that that's there? Just, you go. Just with Louisiana. Yeah. Was Louisiana. It, was it the hurricane that actually pushed you out? Uh, yeah, so we actually had uh, like a house on the water oh, on wow. the coast. Uh, my mom was one of nine. That was the only storm that my entire family had ever left for, ever. So, oh, really? Yeah, our houses were like, uh, there was a couple rolling hills, and then we were maybe 20 feet above sea level. And then the night before it broke landfall, we left. <laughs> this is great. You guys want to do these stories? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we broke. So we uh, fled for a hurricane and went to Panama City, Florida, which sounds like an idiosyncrasy, but, um, so we had two sailboats that we would tie up. I lived in a lake next to the Ingalls shipyard, which is like a big battleship building shipyard down there. So in the storms, we would tie both the boats out in the lake and then you kind of tie them off in the corners, but leave slack. And then they're tied out on the corners, but also tied together. So when the tides go up and down, they just kind of move together. And I remember standing on the dock with my grandpa holding a rope. And I'd stand there for five minutes. At this time, I'm 15. And then I would go to walk, and my legs are almost up to my knees in water on the pier. Another, oh, wow. Another five minutes. Go to walk. All the water's back down. There's no water. It's it's under the, the dock at this point, and the water was just... Wow. Yeah. That's and so freaky. It was, that was... We had decided to leave after that. So we got the boats tied up. We'd saddled everything up. My grandpa loses his glasses. So in Mississippi... You can get your learner's permit at 15, and then after you've had your permit for six months, you can get what's called an intermediate license. You can drive from like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. So I had that, and then grandpa can't drive. We got my mom, my aunt. Uh, I was one of four. My aunt had another three, and then my grandparents and all of the cars that we can possibly take. So I'm driving. This uh, is like a Coleman caravan. Yeah. it's yeah. all. Well, oh, oh yeah. So uh, I my uh, mom lived next door to my grandparents who my grandpa's mom used to own the house that we lived in. So it was like two houses side by side. There's no fence. It's huge property uh, on the water. So I grew up literally next door to my grandparents. So that's cool. We had a whole caravan and then, so we go to leave at like midnight. He can't find his glasses. Finally, they're like, Hey, you're driving. (laughs) Well, there's no, yeah, there's no hotels anywhere up to Memphis. So we end up going all the way over to Florida and it's the middle of the night. And I've never driven anywhere near close to this. And I remember falling asleep and waking up just, it's like traffic cones, dead center of the car. My grandpa's sleeping in the side seat, man. (laughs) I'm like behind my mom in front of my aunt. And we're just, it took us nine hours to make like a three hour drive. Because everybody, so then we get there and everything is so messed up and everybody's trying, none of the cell phones work. 
Mine is 2005. But even now, like if that was the case, yeah. none of the cell phones would work. So you can't get a hold of anybody. Nobody knows what's going on. And we're just sitting on a beach with like five foot waves, you know, wow. way out of the way in Florida. It was wild, dude. So after like three or four days, they let us come back and then no power and water for like two weeks and the military's patrolling everything. But you're coming back into town once they finally tell you you can come back and there's just like huge boats on the side of the road in the middle of the highway, like wild. So, Dang. So I stayed there for um, five weeks and I had a landscaping job before that. We did a bunch of FEMA cleanup. Uh, so it was like, you know, waving flags and cutting trees. And then uh, my buddy and I used to ride around on four wheelers, tearing out houses. Really? So when I moved up here, I just moved up here with like a backpack full of money. And <laughs> <laughs> So what brought you to Omaha then? Um, so my folks had split and my dad was chasing storms doing roofing, uh, for hometown back in the day when they were a big company. And then, um, so he had worked there for a long time and, uh, he's like, Hey, there's this uh, really good tech school. So I was always kind of a, uh, nerd, jack, jack of all trades, nerd. Yeah. So I think I, um, my parents split when I was like 11 and then he started traveling for work, but he would still come home during the winter. So I had like all of his huge stockpile of tools. So when I was in middle school, I started learning how to weld and building go-karts and like big electric chopper bikes and all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Mind you, this was like the dawn of American chopper and all the, the monster garage and the cool stuff they were doing on discovery. So, uh, what, orange County choppers. Yeah, dude, it was my jam OCC. in middle school. It was yeah. Beanie caps with the little OCC. So my, uh, Dad's like, hey, man, there's this really good tech school up here. You know, if you want to come up here and go to school and uh, talking about Milford. So, uh, and at that point, that was what I did. So That's, that's where my brother went. Oh, went really? Went there for welding. Huh. Yeah, I was machine tool. Uh, about, what, four or five months ago, Brandon, <clears throat> my partner in Red Ladder, and I bought a uh, house from a guy that was on the search and rescue for... Was it the Army? Army has search or National Guard, maybe? They yeah, they got a National Guard outfit yeah. somewhere just west of there, yeah. So he was on search and rescue, and uh, he got uh, deployed to Katrina when it happened. And they were on the – he was on a boat, so they would go out and cut holes in the roofs of people's houses to see if there were any survivors in there. That's crazy. Dude. Yeah, so he had some crazy stories, like, he, you know, and like – Picture you're on the roof. I don't know. Did you do any of this? Like you're on the roof and you have to like tether yourself to something up there. So, you know, man, we were always high enough. So like the, the, the next like big American one was like Andrew in 93. And that kind of went like Florida side and then Camille, like in the late sixties, that was always the big one. They're like hurricane Camille, you know, growing up. And, uh, that one came like to the top of the hill. Yeah. The water level. And this was, it started coming up and they're like, yeah, we're leaving. Yeah. He, he actually pulled some people out. Of that's great. Uh, yeah, of a house after getting inside it, and then there were like people on the roofs, all kinds of pets. I mean, he had some pretty sad stories too, obviously oh, as yeah. part of this. But yeah, he's like that was nuts, and he said he was just what? What was he? He was telling the story like on his very first day that he's there. They're like, all right, jump in, you know, and they were messing with him because there was like a huge alligator or crocodile that was like just cruising right up the deal, and he's getting ready. They're like, no, 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 wait, and they're like, look behind you, and he's like. <laughs> you guys are jerks, man. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Just like, leave me out to hang. That would be a that's crazy. Yeah, that would be that would be crazy. I just got done finishing up this Apple show uh, that's all about the hospital uh, that was down there. Yeah, that. Oh, Dude, I, had a, I had an uncle in that hospital. Oh, really? The forty-five people that uh, got euthanized. Ooh, uh, no, he was not one of those. But he was in there with a brain tumor. He didn't make it. 
much longer than that. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's, so there's a there's a Netflix. Or, Talking about New Orleans, right? Yeah, New Orleans during Katrina. Yeah. There's a there's a show on Apple TV, and it's a series, and it's about the hospital that was down there in Midland or whatever they called it, and they had they couldn't get people out. So they were they were doing force evacuations on day five, and they had to make decision to leave these patients that were in critical care. Yeah, to just sit there for two, three, four, ten days. They're they're like, nope, just leave them. And and so then the doctor had to make the decision to just she went ahead and euthanized forty five people involuntarily. Yep. Oh my god, I didn't know. I, I don't remember that. So Holy it's cow. A, yeah, it's a true story, but it, yeah. Wow. It, that was a Netflix deal? No, it's or on Apple, Apple, Apple TV. TV. Yeah. Huh. How do you pick? Who do you send? They, they put the people that couldn't travel or they couldn't, that were, they, there's one guy that they, that they did the big basis around for the lawsuit. And it wasn't that he was too sick. He was too big. So he was like 400 pounds. And they couldn't move him. And they, he would just sat there and Yeah, but died. if the principle is survival of the fittest, like, where do you yeah. draw the line? So yeah. what's the dang man? Because the other side of the fence is hollering the same argument, right? I don't. Wow, man, that's all bad. Tough choices in the early days of a real estate investor career. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. As <laughs> the attorney trying to figure out how are we going to bring it from uh, New Orleans back to real estate. So all right, it's no, it's, a, uh, it's always about the early story. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, formative yeah. years driving, running yeah, over we'll, uh, traffic cones on your way to Panama City Beach. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. PCB. And so, yeah, you got thrown into the literal fire yeah, uh, when was, you were It was fun. So a kid. I uh, uh, went to Milford, um, uh, was fortunate enough to actually find a job in high school that was like close to me and uh, Millard. And they're like, hey, we want to start this uh, program thing where we kind of uh, send uh, potential candidates to school to go to Milford. And then when you come back, you'll work out this job contract and we'll call it even. And I was like, all right, cool. So then... Uh, Okay, what did you learn in Milford? I guess I'm not all that familiar with I was what in, they are. Is, uh, is it a trade manufacturing. school? Yeah, it's mostly a trade school. They do, uh, at the time, they had done some other graphic design stuff, but it's like welding. They got automotive, uh, mechanical engineering, uh, John Deere specific. Hmm. Uh, it's and, like a feeder program. Feeder and, school for John Deere, then they they sponsor a program. Um, or, I don't know how that works, actually, because the John Deere portion was like a, uh, not minuscule, but like equivalent. Mm. It, it was just a piece of the pipe. Their big thing was their their machine tool, what I did was like nationwide recognized. It was okay. One yeah. Of the so best. they're reputable for what oh, they yeah. what they you, teach. I could go anywhere and get a job at that point. But like I think I got out of college and I was making fifteen bucks. Mm-hmm. Which Now when was this? So when when did you get out of school? That was uh two thousand nine. Okay. So oh nine. And but, you're oh nine with a degree from a tech school making fifteen bucks and meh, Yeah. You know? Ain't great. So I did my stint there, and then I had an offer to be in management at a smaller uh, family-run shop, which this job was also, but I was just going to be the boss, which is cool, and they were giving me a massive pay raise. So I took the job. In between me working my last two weeks at my old job and starting this new job, they hired back the guy that I was going to replace, so now we're splitting time and responsibility and overtime. Oh, geez. So I stayed there for five months and then went to work at Valmont. Okay. Um, which is like a union shop, but not union. So, Val- so Valmont uh, Irrigation yep. and uh, so they have, large sprinkler systems and, <clears throat> and so forth. That's kind of what they're known for. Mainly. Yeah. So their Valley Plant has a maintenance department, which is all machine tools. So initially I was uh, making plastic injection molds, and then Valmont does a bunch of stamping dyes. 
Uh, so that's what I was doing. They have a small shop like from the 60s, which mm-hmm. was a real step back in time because they're doing maintenance. And what I was doing before was production with the intent of making money. So um, you go there and uh, everything moves much slower. There's no possibility of uh, progression or advancement or pay raise. Everything is strictly seniority based. So hmm. I worked there for two years. And then um, in 2015, I was looking at getting into some kind of sales job. I thought it would uh, work out better and I didn't want to work until the retirement age of, I don't know, probably 80 for my generation at Belmont (laughs) working forever. So uh, at that point, uh, I had always done like some business marketing stuff in high school and thought real estate would be a simple transition. How hard can selling be? Like you're not selling Kirby vacuums. It's all stuff that people have already decided that they want to buy, right? So you're more helping. That's how my parents met Kirby vacuums. (laughs) <laughs> are you kidding? What a random? No, they, yeah. They All right, both, no sidebar. Let's yeah, they this both one. worked there. My mom was a manager. No kidding, huh? Yeah. We actually bought a, uh, do you remember rainbow vacuums? Oh, yeah. Back in the day, you fill them with water, like the bottom little reservoir thing. Oh, all right. So my grandparents have one of those, but I don't remember it saying rainbow. Were they separate, like a canister and then a handle? No, you actually, like there's the the main like housing of it, and then there's like a pan of water, uh, like it's like oh, a plastic deal, and you like snap it on there. But I remember they came by our house and did this whole demo demonstration, right? And they, 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 they like reversed it and blew up like an air mattress or something with it. And they're like, look how cool this is. And like, I was sitting on it when they, blew, you know, so I was like, Oh, we got to get one of these. And I'm just like, like fair ride. Yeah. And so we bought one. And so yeah. I got my parents old Kirby sitting in the, in the, no kidding. the closet over here. It lasts forever. Clean. Yeah. It's like a, a G four. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Weighs 80 uh, pounds <laughs> Yeah It All is right. heavy But it is powerful <laughs> Oh no doubt Yeah So what was the first sales gig? Real estate then? Re- yeah that- real estate Yeah Oh oh. so actually I had shopped uh, I was trying to get a uh, Like a manufacturing Tool sales job mm-hmm. With some of the Companies that would sell Like the equipment That we used To run uh, The CNC machines Like cutters And stuff like that Stuff that I had known A lot about And so I'd picked One of the larger uh, local and they kind of had like regional sales positions, which would have been here, Kansas, uh, Arkansas, and maybe Missouri at the time. And I'm like, all right, cool. It's, you know, would be a big job. And they're like, yeah, well, the, the starting salary is 24,000. I'm like, dude, I can't even pay my mortgage with that. <laughs> like, I and I'm not going to leave the other job I got now. Yeah. Know? And I, I think at the time I was 23. The biggest thing I, uh, regret passing up was I had a, uh, I think when I was 21, I was trying to build a motorcycle and I made the mistake of buying a frame without a VIN. If you know anything about that. No. <clears throat> so if so you it's buy, like buying a, you buy, hand, a handgun with a serial number filed off? Yeah, essentially. Except it's, yeah, except I it, know all about it, that. It was a Harley frame and they track them all the same way. And it had come from a different state, but I was an idiot. And so I was trying to build a bike and there were some biker guys that I work with. They're like, hey, you should look at this company. They make wheels out of Dallas and they ran a specific kind of machine that I was one of two people at my job that knew how to run and I could literally do it with my eyes closed. So I had done two different interviews with this company in Dallas to make like just custom motorcycle wheels. Oh, cool. And, and different like Harley bagger parts. And they offered me a job and I made the mistake of telling them what I was making currently and what all I knew how to do. And they're like, well, we'll just have you come do that. Plus all this other stuff for the same 16 bucks. Oh, Except man. in Dallas, and I'm like, dude, I can't move for that. Yeah, so, you can. You, uh, the cost of living there alone. Yeah, with, yeah, lesson learned. Don't tell them what you're making. Tell them what you want to make. Okay, so that didn't go as planned. No, it didn't. Uh, go you as got planned. your real estate license. Yeah. So then I got into uh, after I decided that I wasn't going to be able to get a good tool sales job. I started getting a real estate license. Um, had also 
two months after I started taking my classes for real estate, ended up getting fired from Belmont for being tardy. They had a very strict tardy policy. And I had gotten to a point where they said, hey, man, if you're late one more time in the next six months, you're getting fired. And I had three days left on that six months. (laughs) And I was late and got fired. So at that point, my dad, my dad's uh, mother of his child, my five-year-old brother, and my grandpa – because my grandma kicked my grandpa out. We're all living with me at my, oh my God. Uh, split entry in Millard with my roommate. Wow. And I was the only one that worked. <laughs> and I just lost my $26 an hour at 56 hours a week job at Valmont. That's a big change from coming from the living on the coast with two sailboats. Dude, it's totally different. <laughs> yeah, it's totally different. So, um, so after that, I kept going into real estate and then uh, got my license in 2015, went let me ask you a question real quick. With the real estate side, what made you think about real estate? Was there something that in your past that made you think that this is no, the way it to wasn't. Go? I was trying to. Uh, I think my initial thought process mainly was that I wanted to find a sales gig where I could not really be a salesman because I didn't really want to be a salesman. But why? Why real estate? Because what? I felt like it was something that I didn't have to be a salesman. I mean, I grew up uh, working on houses and it wasn't anything that I was real foreign to. Got and it. I think that I was kind of confident in it, but so I knew because, that, because like, your history I knew, Orleans, I knew, I, didn't, Orleans, I, knew I didn't want to sell shoes. I didn't want to sell Kirby vacuums. Like we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, I didn't want to really take any other kind of sales job. And I knew that like the bigger money sales job, I didn't have a degree or any knowledge, you know, I can't like go work on wall street or, you know, do any kind of other sales. So houses, low barrier of entry, um, I had what at, year, at, what so year at the, are we at now? 2015. Okay. So at the time there were also a lot of Craigslist ads yep. like, Hey, we'll teach you how to be a realtor. And it was like Keller Williams kind of stuff, you know? So, um, I had actually gone to like some of their little career nights and you know, they give you like the big sales at, I, I went to a couple different ones. They all give you the same sales pitch. Like we'll teach you how to do it and this and that. And it is what it is once you kind of get there. But now, are you still it's with that fun. Keller Williams? No, I uh, left Kel- Keller Williams and bounced around to a couple of different smaller, more independent places um, to where I could keep more of my money and not be grouped in with other people's reputation so much mm-hmm. was my thinking at the time. And then uh, partnered up with a friend of mine where we kind of just like worked together um, but didn't really have like any of your normal team structures. Like we didn't split money. We were just associated reputation wise and we were really good friends so so how did you when you got your license you it sounds like you tried out a couple different brokerages um eventually landed like how was it selling houses compared to what your perception of what it was going to be like what was the reality Uh, versus perception uh so the training at the time and i can't speak for it now because i haven't been to any in a long time and i don't know how it is i felt that when i got in it was there were a lot of sales pitches on like, Hey, here's what we can do for you and teach you. And then once I got licensed, they just go, Hey, well, uh, all right, go get him tiger, go to work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you know? Like I literally, I, I, I know what I'm doing, but I have no idea how to do it. Like, I don't, so then I got on a team, which is a good idea. If you're new, your first, I always tell people your first year or two, you need to be on a team. Like my, I have 12. should be, but they're hard to leave sometimes. So, well, for me, for me, I, I have a team of 12. And every time I have somebody come on the team, I'm like, you know, ideally we'd love to keep you here, but just so you know, if you want to start your own group or brokerage, we'll we'll fully endorse you and help you. Our goal is to literally make every single person a uh, have their own group or own team at some point. 
but so that was that was not my arrangement. But you should. My my arrangement was I had a a, a four year exclusivity contract. Oh yeah, we don't do any contracts. We we actually try to push people to be be their own owner. But we're a little unique. We teach people on real estate investing, and so you know, everybody in our teams in uh, has most of all but two people on our team have actual investment properties right now. So we, you know, we'll, have to talk, we'll have to talk. We'll have to talk about that more later. Yeah. So, and I, <laughs> so, I don't know if that's like a, a changing thing. I don't agree with the business model of the way that teams were when I got into it, um, because I think that similar to the point you just made, you're kind of set up for failure in the sense that you're either looking for people who are willing to just stay and be, I don't know, an employee as part of a team, for lack of a better way to put it. Well, I, I think it's what your goals are. If you're if you're a brand new agent and you want to come onto a real estate and you want to do full-time real estate, not necessarily be an investor, I, I'm, I'm, I think that for sure you plan, should plan on being a team for one to two years and then before you venture off because that team's going to provide you leads and support and training, everything right. you need to learn because the first two years suck. And um, after that, um, you know, if you're just a investor and you want to buy your investment properties, a team probably is not your best option. You probably want to just be independent because you don't need the training. You're just going to do your own transactions. Um, I have a question for both of you on that same topic. So let's say that you really are interested in being in investment real estate. You want to buy your own properties, but you're new. You don't know really what you don't know. Maybe you've listened to some bigger pockets and real radio episodes and and gotten a good base of knowledge. Do you, is it a good idea if you're an investor and that's really what you want to do to go out and get your real estate license or no? What say you? It depends on how you want to use it, right? Because mm-hmm. there's annual costs. Um, like, do you ever want to be a representative for anybody else? Are you doing enough volume for it to justify? <clears throat> also. If you're doing small flips at 150 grand, like, can you just pay the two agents and not deal with everything that comes with it? Like, what's your prerogative or is your time balance? Like, do you and your wife have a job in the meantime? And like, it's not. Is it a side hustle? Yeah, is this like a side hustle? Because if it's a side hustle, then why are you getting a real estate license? Especially like if you're you're flipping two houses a year, I don't know why you have a real estate license, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. Between Uh, like, between like the, the cost to keep it up and. And uh, the time that would be involved, I don't know why you want. You're you're better served at that point to just find somebody else who can also do the other work, not the work that you're paying for to sell it, but like the hustling on the front end, finding the houses, having the connections. You're better off outsourcing that. Okay, well, let me let me pull this back one layer then and ask: Is it possible that you may come across leads that would result in you buying investment properties? Because you have a real estate license that you would not otherwise absolutely. have access to. No, absolutely. Okay, so so there is some merit to it, Ted. What are, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? So here, locally here in Omaha, Nebraska, one thing that's happened July first, we've talked about in previous episodes, is that we uh, they've now deemed wholesaling legal, meaning selling the uh, or marketing a assignment contract, right? which is now making it a lot more difficult to buy properties from a wholesaler. Uh, some people still do it, but there's a risk to it. Mm-hmm. But now as a realtor, uh, you have ac- you have access to MLS and you can actually take advantage of some deals now that weren't coming around before because now that the wholesalers aren't grabbing on, there's actually more opportunities in their list in MLS. You obviously have the ability to run better comps and, and, and you can be in the forefront of finding these deals. So right now, in my opinion, if you're in this local market or in a market that also has these same rules, 
I personally think there's more value to being a realtor right now because you can get those you 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 can have better access to the MLS. But if you have a strategic business partner that you're working with that does have a license, you know that could be another way of going at this too. You don't necessarily need to be the person. Um, but there's also some downfalls too because if, as a realtor, you know because now the, the, the this legality stuff. I actually, uh, I'm, I have way more risk to buy a wholesale right now. I could potentially lose my license, potentially be fined up to twenty five thousand dollars. You know, if I if I'm doing a wholesale, so you know, if you if your person, if you have some good wholesale contacts and you and you want to roll the dice a little bit, definitely don't get your license, right? Yeah. So I yeah, it, it's complicated. Here here it is. Most can places we, it can isn't. We, can we talk about that? Yeah. Uh, define because it's. Dependent on the legal definition, right? What are they defining as marketing? Yeah. So if it's not, if you technically here specifically, yeah, right? Because Owen, you do a bunch of stuff in Iowa and it's not the same in Iowa. So if you have a history of doing business with a particular person, you can, you, you can contact them about a, a, an opportunity that you have and that isn't marketing. But if you don't have history recorded, and I and I can't post this on a website. I can't call random people. I can't send a newsletter out. Okay, so that's that, I can't market. That's my, the, I can't market any, my anything interest. that would be. Yeah, define is it is that the definition? Marketing e- equitable interest? interest in a property, meaning you have it under contract, so and now you, you are attempting to assign that to another person, and you're an unlicensed uh, person. But if it's somebody that you already have a relationship with, they're not considering that marketing an opportunity. But in the other aspect, though, is hashtag not an attorney. Yeah, we're not attorney. In well, the, no, I'm just curious. So and, like, and the rules, and, and we haven't seen like clearly defined uh, specifications on this. But also, if you, um, you know, so if you take a have a wholesale, if you're a wholesaler, and you have a deal through somebody, and you say, hey, I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars, and you're selling your interest for one twenty, and you go sell it to somebody, and and they buy it, you make your twenty thousand, and and that seller is not happy with you and they report you, the real estate commission can take you to court and fine you, don't quote me on this, but I think $5,000 on your first offense. It's stiff. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, it's it's the legislation is called LB 892, I yep, believe. That's right. And uh, it's specific to the state of Nebraska, what we're talking about, which obviously we're based out of Omaha. So, you know, this is kind of top of mind for a lot of us. But yeah, big deal. Like this was uh, like a lot of wholesalers were up in arms about it. We've talked about it at length on other episodes. Oh, but, well, then I won't waste any time on this and I'll just go back yeah. and listen. To them. No, there you <laughs> go. There Why you didn't go. you just say that earlier? Because <laughs> well, you want to know. We want to talk about it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I was just curious on that because there's schools of thought on that. Like uh, you met, you were talking about my business, but like I'm not licensed. So, but, but you're also, and we don't, we don't, we don't assign deals. We buy them. We like, we close. Yeah. That's so then that's we can a whole separate thing. Yeah. We can do whatever we that. want. Then. So, so the hard money lenders are cleaning up on this because the deal, oh, more, deals sure are they are. Be, more deals are having to be don't closed. Get, on don't it. get me started on these guys. We'll talk about that. I actually minute. co-sponsored this uh, bill that was passed. actually the same story as to how I, how I, <laughs> okay. how I got onto hard money is actually the same story of the first time I ever talked to Ted. So, oh, well, let's tell also the same story of my first flip. So good. Wow. Look at this segue. It's a triple header triple, triple threat <laughs> all right it's let's, just funny how the world's small sometimes well, all right so 2015 i got licensed 2017 i was mostly full-time uh i worked on a team for about a year and then went on my own and then uh winter of 2019 uh i mean ted will tell you everything here kind of gets cyclical for the winter and then so i decided why why tell you everything 
Uh, no, I mean, I just mean like as somebody with some real estate and <laughs> flipping credibility back then. <laughs> what are you trying to say here? I'm just saying two of us are realtors and the other is not. That's all. So the, fair, bus- fair. the business here is cyclical. <laughs> that's my one jab at That home. winter so, sucked balls, by the way. Like, uh, no, that winter was great. No, was it the, was not. The that's turning the point for me. Bomb cyclone or whatever that flooded like eight basements that we had going that were in No, first. that was the next year. No, it was 19. I oh, know that. When we, oh, yeah, when it got super cold. Yeah. Wait, well, and they, no, no, no. But that's when January 19? We, we had I'm, all the rain. That, I'm talking uh, when, about December 19. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So December. Please continue. Dece- yeah, definitely a month <laughs> off. Winter of 19. <laughs> huh. I decided uh, that I wanted to start flipping houses. So one of the first jobs when I moved here was working at a local sports bar in Millard. And the guy that I used to cook with ran the kitchen and then ended up buying some bars and then uh, was my business partner, a, a, or is is my business partner? So you, you had a, a a cook in a bar that bought several bars. You said I had a very savvy, uh, was really good at buying uh, businesses and like saving money with his wife. And when they decided that they didn't want to lease a kitchen anymore, bought an entire bar. Oh, and then flipped that, and then bought another bar. So the, the same. Bars? Re- uh, so we used to work at Choo Choo's in Millard. Oh yeah. Okay, so the guys that used to run the kitchen in Choo Choo's and Millard. I used to do the marketing when, uh, back in back in like <laughs> Omaha's so small, it's beautiful. I used to do the marketing right. there from when I when, so, when I was with Omaha Nightlife. Uh, yeah. So this would have been, but, but this is like in 2010, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so this would, yeah, a similar age. I remember Nightlife. It was it was a big thing uh, when I was like 21. <laughs> so the guys that ran the kitchen, that entity was actually that square footage was leased from the ownership. So those guys is mom used to be married to the guy who used to own Choo Choo's. So that was how that relationship started. And then when I moved here and I was 15, my dad was good friends with the manager at Choo Choo's at the time and got me a job cleaning on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So my first job here when I was 15 was cleaning a bar and they go, here's the keys. Just be here every Saturday and Sunday morning. And I'm like, well, this is a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Six months after that, I got offered a cooking job. I started there. Uh, about the time I was 16, and then did that till I was 22 or 23. At that time, those guys quit, bought the pheasant across the street, and then kind of ran choo-choos into the ground. And then we stayed there for maybe seven years, in which... Pheasant's a great hole in throughout, the wall. Man, that was such a great... So at the time, <laughs> I think I was 22, and it was like my high school reunion every day. Yeah. It was karaoke, and all my buddies <laughs> hanging out there. And then uh, my old boss bought it, and I was like, sweet, my... Party spot just turned into my job, which was not sweet. So I was the cook and the plumber and the electrician and the handyman oh, and geez. the flooring guy. And you, but you learned some life lessons out of that, right? Dude, it was everything. So we've always been really close. Those guys were like my family. So uh, winter of 2019, I was talking about flipping a house. He goes, well, I got 30 grand. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I got figured out how to get a loan. So at the time, that was uh, Lima 1. Mm-hmm. Lima capital. One Financial or Lima One Capital. Yeah, right? cap- capital, yeah. whatever. It won, I think it's capital, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I had found this. The market was good, but the, the stuff in uh, out north wasn't really moving as of yet. So I found a house on uh, 30th and Ames that I really liked. Uh, I figured everything out with Lima One, uh, which was cool, except you had to get an appraisal and then you had to submit a budget and then they had to approve it. And then so I s- submitted a budget on this house for $20,000. They came back and they go, uh, there's no way that we can do this for 26000 And I said, well, I sent the bid in for twenty, And they go, yeah, we can't even do it for twenty six. So we are going to force your 
submission upward in cost. And then also it works on draws and it's 11% and it's 3,500 bucks up front and closing costs. And then we'll give you the money to buy the house. And then you can front your own money to fix it. And then we have this reimbursement budget set aside for you. And when you're done, and then we will send what ended up being a home inspector actually over to verify that the work you said had been done had been done. Like if you said you got kitchen appliances, they'll come and take pictures mm-hmm. and then they'll cut you a check for the money back, which is really hard to work that way. Mm. Um, this is a lot of cash up front. It's a lot of cash up front. Yeah. So oddly enough, Ted was the listing agent for the house across the street that I was uh, coincidentally looking at buying at the same time. So this house had new siding, new gutters, new roof. I had never met Ted. Uh, I had known only by name who you were. And then, so I had called you and I was like, Hey, I'm also a realtor. I'm trying to work this out. Uh, at the time you tended to answer the phone, like you were always pretty busy (laughs) and you're like, yeah, man, uh, what's up? And I'm like, well, I just looked at this house and, uh, I don't think I told you. Are you saying I was a big D? (laughs) Nah, not at all. I I was just saying, uh, dude, I I know how it is. I answer the phone. I'm like, yeah, this is Chris. Like, Phone's ringing again. (laughs) What do you want now? What can I help you with? Like, my headset's going off. I don't even know who it is. So, uh, and I'm just asking you annoying questions like everybody else who would, like similar to if you're calling off a sign. Like, is this, you still got this place? What's, What's up with it? And you're like, I don't have time for these. This goes nowhere, you know? So, um. I thought the house was overpriced. I, the main thing that I really didn't like is that there was no bathroom on the main floor. And that was the point where I decided that one of the most important things I need to do moving forward is have an established set of rules because I trying to exclude my own biases would also never buy a house that had no bathroom on the main floor. Hmm. So the house I was looking at was a one and a half story and it had two full bathrooms, one on the main floor, one on the upstairs other than that, there were similar layouts, except it looked like Ted's house had a, a dog fighting ring that used to be in the basement because we found AKC paperwork <laughs> on the floor <laughs> next to the dog fighting ring. Wow. So <laughs> I think Ted knows which house I'm talking about. So uh, oddly enough, I bought the house across the street. I was working on that. <clears throat> My future drywallers end up buying the house that Ted's listing. Really? Yeah. So while I'm remodeling this, I meet this awesome couple that lives across the street. This husband and wife do drywall together all day, every day. And we were talking and like, yeah, we're going to fix this house up. It's, it turned out awesome, by yeah. the way. Um, so they came over and they actually ended up doing a bunch of house or, or work on the house across the street. So um, I got done with that. It took me eight or nine months. I pretty much did most of it except the drywall and the paint. Um so that was, I actually had to have an engineer on that, that house. Cause I lifted the whole house. Oh, geez. No in, inside of the basement by myself. <laughs> lifted it. How like push piers. Um, so I had bought, uh, because I was in manufacturing before I, I bought a bunch of like 50 ton jacks at Menards. And then I had this guy in and I had gotten a bunch of bids. They're going to be like, dude, it's going to be like 30 or 40 grand. I'm like, I can't pay you to do this. So then I looked into like what all I need to have in line. And they're like, well, you need to have an engineer look at it. And so the issue was that the beam wasn't big enough. So when I tried to pick up the house, the beam would just kind of sag in between. So I said, well, I can either replace this whole thing with an I-beam or I can take two plates of steel and clamp them on both sides of the beam and then pick 
both sides of those steel up. And the engineer was like, yeah, that's what you do if you got bolts tightened to this much at this distance with this frequency all the way down. So I ordered the steel. I drug it into the basement in the middle of winter. And then I hoisted it all up, Egyptian style, and then picked this whole house up and then fixed all the walls after I broke them all after I lifted the house five inches. So, so you raised the... What the hell, man? The, the this middle, was your first flip? This is my first flip. So you raised the floor or did you raise the foundation too? Uh, just the floor in the center. So the house had sagged in the middle. It only it was a big two-story house and only had a six-by-six six beam. And the posts were eight feet across, but it sagged in the middle. Did it happen because somebody did altercations at some point? No. It, it was just bad um, building from the beginning. It was bad building from the beginning. Wow. So the walls didn't actually sit on the reinforcement underneath them. This was a house built, I think it was like 1890 or 1900. So the walls just sat on like whatever shiplack flooring they had. It didn't sit on any kind of joist. So that was the other issue I had. Once I lifted the middle of the house, I still had a problem with like uh, a five foot wide bathroom falling off six inches over a foot and a half because the wall above it, which was a load bearing wall, Mm -hmm. wasn't actually Mm -hmm. supported underneath. So then I had to go underneath and pick that whole wall up and then block it off between the two. How do you pick that up? (laughs) With jacks in a basement. And it's permanent? What do you mean? Can you explain how you did that? Like what happened with the jacks afterwards? How'd you get get a permanent? Yeah, yeah. So it it had wood... Uh, six by six posts under a six by six beam. So I picked the whole beam up and then I strapped steel to the side of the support beam and then replaced all of the wood beams underneath as well as reinforced the footings with steel and then went around to each individual wall that didn't sit on a joist between that was low and then picked that up in a similar fashion and then blocked it perpendicularly to hold the wall. So in another life, I worked for Thrasher Basements, which was like a foundation support works like a worldwide Oh yeah, company. you'd have never made any money on this. Yeah. And and you know, and we, we did push piers and wall anchors and all this crap. Oh, you know, okay, you know, yeah. And and we did helical piers and all the stuff that you do. But no, so, they, yeah. but so this is just amazing that you did this on your own and how you went at it. Okay, so let me back up. I had uh would never been this wasn't like a random YouTube thing I just decided to try. So you in, probably could make some money on YouTube if you did make a video of this, by the way. <laughs> if I would. But I, I am blown away to, by this, by the way. And I have I have a lot more questions, but please so go ahead. The, uh, in 1998, there was a hurricane, uh, George, that came through the Gulf Coast, and it wiped out my dad's mom's house. She lived like a mile down the street from us. So a big project for, I guess, our whole family from 1998, from when I was 8 to 12, was rebuilding my grandma's house and adding 20 feet to the back. But in the meantime... Uh, my dad had picked up this entire house and set it on like a Jenga block. <laughs> Not kidding, dude. I, it's like two, two this way and then two this way and then block of railroad ties, like mm-hmm. eight by eight. Stack this whole house nine feet high. And then put the new foundation underneath and it. And then built concrete forms and poured a foot thick wall yep. underneath it. So my summers in July... We're breaking up pile. We would used to get like dump truck loads of concrete from the city when they would tear out sidewalks and go, you can just have this stuff for free. And it's just dirt and concrete. So I would dig the concrete out and then I would break it and then stack it on a dolly and haul it around to the other side of the property. And we built this six foot tall retaining wall all the way down the side of the house in which we laid it all out and then buried all the old construction (laughs) materials in it and then dumped dirt over it. And it was this huge flower bed and landscaping on one side. And then the other side was like this massive tiered lot. And then the whole underside, like if you had a six car garage basement underneath your house here, 
it was like that, but just wide open underneath the whole house. And then we had like welded up this huge steel stair railing on the back. The whole thing was fun. So that was kind of my entrance. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so like you rebuilding houses, you, you walk through this house. Did you envision any of that part <clears throat> of this whole process happening? Did you know that you were yeah, going to have to? Yeah. I made the mistake of walking through and be like, that's easy. We'll just jack it up real quick. Because I went in the basement and I saw these huge six by six posts and I went, yeah, we'll just lift it and I'll just add, you know, whatever on top of it. Or I'll just replace the post. The problem was, is the six by six wasn't big enough. So then when I would pick up the house here, it would move here. Uh, None of these would move. And it was like a spaghetti noodle. <laughs> How, what would you charge today if someone wanted, if Owen said, hey, I'm, I'm you flipping a house. Pay, you couldn't pay me. But what, <laughs> but what would, would be the value to, the, to you to do that? Again, I think the cheapest bet I got was thirty, thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> and you did it yourself. Yeah, what do you I think it cost you? What? How much did you save by doing that yourself? At least thirty thousand, right? Uh, well, I, I figured you had to buy the materials. plate oh, materials. No, and... the the steel to do it was like three hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy, man! And then the jacks were like fifty bucks. All right, how would you do on that house the, after all that? I made forty eight thousand dollars. Wow! Yes, I love okay, that. that's good. <laughs> all right, it was great. It took nine months. Now, there were a lot of things that went into that. A lot of it was that I did a lot of the uh, the work myself. I built custom cabinets for the kitchen. I made laminate countertops, like all custom, which I'll never do again. Um, I bought all my appliances used. Um, yeah, and then the only things that I subbed out were electrical work and uh, some light plumbing, drywall, and paint. So you were thrifty and DIY to the extreme on what you were able to figure out, which no, more, I will tell oh, and, you. Uh, and uh, two weeks before I was ready to list the house, the roof randomly leaked, which mind you, at this point, it had the house for seven months through winter and, and summer, nothing. and it never leaked. And it leaked through the second story, down the second story closet, and then out the ceiling, like the coffered oh, ceiling in the living gosh, room, no. all over the hardwood floors. Oh, jeez. <laughs> What the heck, man? Yeah. <laughs> Clean that one on the shirt. Mind you, my partner just goes, "Here's some money," and I have nothing to do with it. So, yeah, no, I didn't claim. So it it's your insurance. it's I your mess. Had to go in, and luckily I was there like when it started, and I turned the corner, and it's just raining out of the ceiling, and I was like, "Oh, this is not good." Yeah, I, I was gonna say if <laughs> so if I was this, able to deal with it, if this happened on my my first flip, or I don't even maybe now, I'd be It'd like be a disaster. I'm out. Well, I yeah. mean, I'd just be like. Either A, I'm going to write a check for $30,000 and just eat it, and it's a huge L that you know takes a long time to erase. Or he's going to try to sell it to Denless as his first property. Yeah, or I'll just right. schlep it to a Well, I mean, beat. the reason that I had <laughs> like uh, gotten started trying to do it during the winter is because my real estate business was always cyclical, so I just got really slow during the winter. Yeah. I was still like, bartending part-time here and there, screwing around, and I was like, ah, trying sure. to flip a house. Mind you, this was into 2020. And I didn't sell the or into 19, I didn't sell the house till August of 2020. So at the point that I'm three or four months in, COVID kind of hits and I'm like, well, this is perfect. I'll just keep working on this house. And you know, the real estate market froze for like a month here, maybe, and then kind of picked up. And it's like, God, ah, I'll be fine. Was this so, the, uh, the house that had the, that I, you had a business partner that was like out of South Dakota or something like that? No, they were all local. They're just not involved. It and then always money partners. And then you, uh, but you brought me in to look at a place that and you offered it to me um, before you were going to list it on the market. And I, I remember it was like a two story house. They had a, wall, a, a stairwell that came through the kitchen. And, and no. 
Uh, no, it was, that off, was, it was that, off. It was off like it was off like twenty eighth and eighth. It was probably. that was a twenty ninth and Pinckney. Yeah, that. Yep, that was a different house. Okay, that was my second house. That was number two. Yep, and you had an out of state partner. That, that was one, the, didn't you? That was the surprise. Your house has termites. Surprise! This house caught on fire already. House. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job on that property though. It looked beautiful. <laughs> we made two thousand dollars. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Did that was that Dude, one a big it's been, huge project? It's been too. the most random. The first house, yeah, that was a big project, and that was just one that never ended. So I, there's two duplexes like a block away from there that my client I just sold to a client yep. at the time, and I, yeah. I just listed those for sale. Just so, now? Uh, yeah, he well, he's had people on them for like five years now. Oh, I was gonna say that was years ago. Yeah, so we just you listed were talking them. about listening then. Oh man, so he said to keep them, and now we're, now we listed them. So how did okay? I you, bet they went for a lot of money. You, too. They're listed for four, two duplexes for four hundred ten k. They're listed oh, right Jesus. now with an extra lot. So it's not. So yeah, but I what's saw a, those, the what's ranch, a, ranch? Yeah, but what's style, a lot? Right? White. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole bunch right there. Right? Yeah, there. Yeah. It's like they build them out. All right, Chris. So you, the, I mean, this is an incredible story. So a huge roller coaster on your first flip. You end up making forty eight k on it. Took nine months. You did a lot of the work yourself. Um, looking back on it now, do you think that was a good you got enough lessons out of going through the pain and suffering and profit to where that was, you would recommend that? Is no. that a good, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I no. would recommend it, but I would definitely not say that I've gotten enough lessons out of it <laughs> or I wouldn't have spent the last two years learning uh, lessons that I thought I learned before all over. Yeah. Again. So, um, so second, first flip 48 K yep. second flip 2000 first, first flip went good. Uh, so after that, uh, despite both at, so at the time my partner's like, Hey, uh, just do one at a time. And I was like, ah, I got it. So then I took on another partner and I was like, you want to do this? This is our last one. We'll do two. So we bought uh, two houses out north at the same time. I hired a guy full time. And then three months later, ran out of money. and was like, sorry, dude, I got to kind of let you go. And then finished the two houses at that point. It was just like a bunch of learning lessons. Nothing had gone right. One of the houses I bought for way too high. And then Thought I'd put 20 in it, end up putting 35 in it. So then I think we made like 12 on that one mm-hmm. and then 25 on the other because those were the two that we were doing. So then I had some money. I brought that guy back and I found two more guys. Okay. From a buddy of mine. And he's like, hey, uh, these guys have been working with me for a while. I'm really slow. And I like to have some work for him. So they would kind of come do some stuff for me in the evening. They were really good. Um and so I brought him on full time. So at this time I got three guys. Mm-hmm. And so coming on up, coming on up. So after about a month, my buddy's like, Hey man, I don't know how I'm ever going to keep these guys busy. So I'm like, all right, now's the time all in. So then I have five, five guys, five houses, five houses. Wow. That's five. even worse. <laughs> five, house, five houses, three guys and me. And so at this point, I'm just running around like shopping. Sounds like a sitcom. Trying to keep up with the bookkeeping. <laughs> so then oh, after bookkeeping. six, <laughs> dude, that's for I later. heard my, just, I, I just <laughs> my first bookkeeper this week. <laughs> I, yeah, I need one, man. So after like uh, six months, my buddy's like, hey, I, I need to get those guys back. So at this point, I've got all of my eggs in one basket. And I know how he is, and I know how I am, and I'm. I was absolutely convinced that they wouldn't leave. You. They wouldn't leave you. They wouldn't leave me. So me trying to be, at the time, the nice guy, not the nice guy. I'm, I was just trying to do the right thing. I was like, hey, man, these aren't my guys. Like, if you need them back and, and they want to go, by all means. And they're like, well, 
We were there first, and I was like, you were like, darn it, darn it, not <laughs> not good, you know. And so, uh, do so they go, and and at this all time, of them, I li- no no just two of the three, sorry, okay. two of the three, and I got five houses, and it's oh. me, mind you, this whole time I'm still being a realtor. I'm still doing everybody else's side stuff. Are you doing? Are you actually to... selling real estate on the side? Like, are you? As yeah, I was. I was still, uh, yeah, I was doing ten or twelve houses a year through okay. all of this yeah. at that point. Um, all of which are out west, <laughs> and I'm working out north trying to run these guys. Mind you, uh, only one of these dudes drives. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. So you got a lot. You and have I'm, high maintenance. I'm doing. Stuff I'm doing going the on. accounting, the ordering, the supervising, yeah. all of the finished carpentry. Okay. And so they're like, you know, the first 80% of the job. So every, my my biggest problem through everything is like the last like 80 to 20. It's just getting to the finish line. Oh, the, the it's first, it's the always fir- the first, Dude, the first stuff's always easy. So the biggest uh, the big, the biggest thing is I learned through both of those is once you figure out what your rules are going to be, you have to stick with them. For example, uh, one of the biggest houses I ever lost uh, the most money on was a two-bedroom house. And I knew before I ever bought that house that I decided no two bedrooms. And then it was a two bedroom close to home in an area that I thought was really good. But it's so cheap. It's but right it's next door. I can get two, over there. <laughs> it's still a two. Right. I was like, dude, I can just go over here and work in the evening, screw around. Still a two bedroom. That was the biggest price impotence. It was not good. So huh. we lost a bunch of money on that. But uh, I had a What's couple, a bunch of money? <clears throat> 15000 like, yeah, you just pay for school. So you've had some trials, yeah, but, it was a, but it was like a eighty or ninety thousand dollars house. Yeah, yeah. So you've had a few trials and tribulations. But this here. was all, mind you, this was all stuff that we had at the same time. At this point, I'd already bought that house, another house in Benson. Can I ask and you what the learning lesson was from that one? Which one? The one that you just lost fifteen k. Um. So I had. Did some, you analyze it wrong, or like what was what was the what was um, the real no? Reason? I didn't. Um. I don't think I analyzed it wrong. I think that I analyzed it like an. Uh, hopeful aspect, and then I, I kind of got suckered into where if I wanted to... So the house had no off-street parking, so I dug a parking pit and then built a retaining wall. Mm-hmm. And then it still had a garage with no roof. So I actually had uh, an appraiser on a conventional loan call me out for like a missing outlet cover and no handrail to the basement and no door to the shed. And I'm like, what is all this stuff on a conventional loan? Like th- this whole was that deal- Tom Delwo? No, this this was like a U.S. bank deal. This whole deal was so bad that they got rid of the appraiser and had to get rid of the loan officer in the middle of the transaction and find all of new people and then send somebody else out to do the inspection. That's my biggest piece of advice right now from this conversation right now. When you are selling a property and if you have control of it, do not take the uh, the offers from the big banks, the Wells Fargo's, the U.S. banks. Dude, it was the only offer I had. I they, had to they're take. All just, they, they just rip you apart. <laughs> they always delay 30 days they now they have one in town here they only have like one appraiser they work with i got a uh a wells fargo deal right now which the two worst deals i've ever done have been with wells fargo and usaa <laughs> and i tried to talk my clients out of it and our appraisal just came back at ten thousand dollars higher than our purchase price which i never thought would happen it's not the appraisal it's just the time i mean and you and you don't have a rep you can call i ordered the appraisal two days ago yeah good that's never been the case as well. Well, the market's also slowed down quite a bit. <laughs> also, yeah. So anyway, so back to this property. So back to the rules. What, what, what? It was a it was a two bedroom. The bedrooms were really small. Okay. I tried I tried to pawn it off to like a a bigger REIT, and they came in and were like, "Hey, you're 
uh, we won't even buy anything with the bedrooms this size. It was like a bungalow house, you know, which is great for a bachelor, but not a good family house. Um, so the job, I had a bad hire to the tune of five grand where I had to come back and spend two weeks fixing everything that they had messed up. And then I was spread too thin, lost my help, uh, had hard money, which is lower down on the list, but, um, that that's kind of when hard money goes bad. And then I was hopeful that I would sell it initially for like 130 or 135. And I think I only ended up having to let it go at like 120 in the middle of winter. And it's still a two bedroom Mm -hmm. and too much on my plate that I just don't care about anymore. So all basically all you break all the rules. What's the, what's the one thing you would uh, say is your biggest lesson out of that? I bit off way more than I could chew. You got spread too thin. Is that, is that kind of, I got, um, yeah. Took your eye off the ball with, uh, your criteria. The big, the biggest thing that, uh, I think I messed up on is that I didn't give it enough time to where I thought I had a good system in place before I started to try to significantly scale up and I didn't have a good enough system in place. And then when that started to crumble, I was way too deep in it to have any other options and to just keep going and either try to make money or cut my losses, but it didn't matter at that point. Everything had to be done. So the two bedroom I bought that I should have never bought because it's a two bedroom and it breaks my rules that I established when I first started flipping houses should have never done that. Should have waited longer with the new help that I had before I decided to go out and buy three more houses, (laughs) you know, um, I should have kept better accounting on where all of my money was going. Not that any ever really ended up missing, but, um, it was a big stress factor for me in the meantime because I got too caught up in trying to keep everything moving to actually know where everything was going. Mind you, it's all uh, – I shop at places where everything can be tracked electronically, and I do all of my banking electronically. So you can find it later, but that's not a good way to do it at all because yeah. in the meantime, you're trying to remember everywhere you spent money and stressing out about it every second of every day until then. So – so how do you change that? What do you do now? Um, so that's part of what I'm trying to figure out now is where is the good timeline on, okay, I have a repeatable process with sustainable, reliable help to where we've done one house or two house or three jobs or whatever, where my results have been consistent. And now is a smart time to scale up instead of going from two houses to five like on shaky ground thinking that I can just pick up all the slack everywhere and do everything. And that was my biggest mistake at that point, I think. So it sounds, it sounds like you did something, you did the scale part of it. So you bought five, you were Way working fast. five at one time because you could not maybe because you should. <clears throat> yeah. So you had the opportunity to do it, but you didn't have the systems and processes that, in place. That was the thing. The opportunity was so alluring. Like you were talking about earlier, Ted, once you get into meeting people where they're like, Hey, I got this off market deal. So in the middle of all this, I had some clients who wanted to buy a house and they had a really awesome house in South though, that they were just going to sell me a uh, private party, no interest. And it was just sweet. And so I took it up and I threw that in the mix too. Again, close to home, except awesome opportunity. People I love knew it was going to be no stress, but again, middle of winter. Yeah. Didn't, didn't okay. really have time for it. I had to take it. I can kind of relate with you on some of those too, because, um, Recently, or this year, I, I took on two projects at the same time. I've, I've, you know, I've not experienced as far as having multiple projects going. But you know, for the last couple of years, I've had one project consistently, and I got a limited crew that I'm working with. So you know, I, I had two projects at the same time. 
first project, I say, hey, this is the quickest one. Let's put the priority on this. But on the other one, let's get the clean out done. Let's get the siding done. Let's get the subs on there. And now I'm on that second project. I'm I'm five months into that, coming on six months, which my my hard money is about to uh, you know go get more expensive. And I, I and I probably got two more months worth of work on that because I did a focus on the first one. It was totally a home run for me. But this, but the second one though is you know the one that was a little a lot more questionable in it. But in the long run, I know it's going to do well. But I'm, you know, I, I didn't have my team set up properly. Honestly, it would have cost me less to pay more for a second contractor to take that job on, which I have those resources I should have done, but I should have paid a little bit more money, had that job done in, in, in 30 to 60 days instead of uh, waiting for my main guy to be available to take it on. Cause now I'm still waiting for it to get done. And honestly, it's not going to be ready until probably uh, November or December now. Plus the contract time. Plus contract time. Plus my hard money is going to get more expensive. And plus, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just forking money. Winter utilities. No, I get it. And so utilities, then, yeah. so then, what did you decide was the point where next time I need to listen to this? So like for me, when if I get into a spot where somebody's like, yeah, no, and my gut goes, uh, I don't know, May, like maybe, like if I say, hey, can you have it done in a week? And they're like. Well, you know, you got, you got, you got I, to go. I, right? I did a contract, and honestly, my contract was uh, a total of 120 days total. And so, you know, I, I was like, oh, I was really confident that the first job could be done in 30 days, which it was, and that the second one would get done. But there was obviously that contractor had other projects going too, and and I wasn't his only concern. And so, I I should have uh, been more intelligent on my decision making, which this is a learning lesson for me. And that's one thing I like about the dynamic of this podcast is that, you know, we kind of have – we have Owen, which is the experienced person that's been doing this for 30, 40 years. And you got – you got uh, <laughs> 17. <laughs> 17. Hey, thank you for tackling the eye roll for me on my behalf. You, 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 I, I'm just outsourcing my eye rolls now. Now, now, now mind, you, mind you, I'm the guy who's never gotten a contract from a contractor ever. Yeah. And still wound up with similar results. Whereas you have a contract saying, hey, 30 days, this is a timeline, which is what you're here and yep. what you're taught, right? Get a contract, lay out the timelines, all the expectations are different. So now you still ended up with the same results that I got. And it was on me, though, because I, I overloaded my guy that I had. I knew his abilities. I, I knew, I, I truly knew what he could handle. But I. I yeah, but I, at, at, at what point did you feel like you know that? Because that's the only point that you realize, like, oh, I messed up, and now some of this is something that I can prevent next time. I should have I known that a year ago. And, what, okay, so what's with, the relevance with of the project ago? you're sitting in right now? I knew the timelines of what his capabilities were. Um, this is, you know, he's a good guy. I know what his abilities are, but right now I should, I should have known that, um, there's another crew I work with that I flip clients houses with, and I could use that crew on this property, paid just a little bit more and, 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 and have better results. But what I was trying to say earlier is that one thing I like about the dynamic of this podcast is that we got Owen. It's honestly been doing this for what seventeen plus years, mm-hmm. you know, with lots of history and, and examples and real world examples. You got myself. It's been I've owned properties since '09, but but truly I've been doing this renovation game for about three years now, two and a half years. And then you got Denless, which is uh, just dreaming about getting a property, and he and one day he'll do it. So I mean, I like this dynamic that we're all in these different different realms of of phases of our our careers, right? And we can advise each other on this. But this is one mistake I personally made that I know I could have done this better. Reflecting on what you're saying right now, I took on too much. 
but you know right now that you could probably take on five properties right now, but you would have a way better system to do it. And you like, hey, I've already had these lessons. I know how to handle it better, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, the other aspect to that is that I walk into every situation going, this would take me, should take me this much time. So this is somewhere close to what I expect. So then when I find somebody else to do it, mind you, I'm not great at this at all. This is entirely a conversation of, about expectation. So if you're changing a tire on your car and I go, ah, it's probably going to take me a couple hours. I got to Google how to, you know, figure it out. And you go, dude, this takes 15 minutes. Like I don't know, but I'll still hire you to do it anyway. So then my problem ends up being, <clears throat> I think this should have taken one day. Now it's taken five. I could have done it in two, two and a half at the most, like worst case scenario. But you doing it. But why is it taking you five? Sense growth, right? It does because it's a who, not how, right? So then you you get trapped into the same situation of when I decide to buy five houses and go, well, I can have these guys do the demo and this guy can do the paint and this guy can do the drywall and these guys and these guys. And all I have to do is set the cabinets, do the tile and do all the finish work. Well, then you end up with four houses at the same time. I'll need the all of the finished work and you're the only one that can do all, it. Yeah. All different or schedules. And you've convinced yourself that you're right. Different schedules that you're the only one that can do it, except different schedules only last so long. Eventually they're literally all in the same schedule. Every house has 20 things that are all waiting on you and you're, <laughs> and you're trying to keep two or three guys busy and everything's waiting on you. I'm go- and you know what? I, I'm all gl- your money's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad we're talking about this because this is bootstrapping for newer real estate investors and Dude, what want, you I don't want to scare anybody off. No, this, no, but but, it, but this is real because I I did exactly these same things when I was starting out. Exactly the same things. But I I'm, I'm sitting here on the other side going, I wish I didn't know how to do any of this yeah. stuff. So that when somebody goes, "Hey man, it's going to be an extra day." I'm going to go, "Well, I guess it is what it is and uh, I'll just be waiting one more day." Because my complex is I'm sitting on the other side going, I could get this in there like today and do it. Yeah, do it right one now. hour. I could do it right now. And and so this is this is a good question. Which is false. And, also. and I, I know your answer already, but you you ask somebody, um, do you think it's a a benefit or a detraction to have construction knowledge that you could actually do yourself? There's a difference between knowing you know what time it is and how the watch works, right? So. Um, if, yeah, so if, I think so. I think that's a convoluted area for me. So if I let's say if I were uh, somebody who like built houses and then just decided to start flipping them, I don't think that I would have the same issues that I do. And I don't also think that I'm a perfectionist. I think that um, I am overly stimulated by a lot of immediate gratification, and I think that that is what played into a lot of my attraction to getting into manufacturing. And then from there, the area which I was most peaked was the incredibly tight tolerance stuff. So plastic injection molding, everything is accurate within a fraction, tenths of a thousandth of an inch, right? So the hair on your head is three thousandths of one inch thick. So you're talking about a sixth, tenth, fifteenth of that, like minuscule. So then when I'm doing framing on lumber and I'm like, it's off a sixteenth. Yeah, so you, you know yeah, what I mean. You're like, trying and, to, and I start getting because I can see everything. I know where all the flaws are. I know where everything's at, and I and I can't let it go. So it's so I'm going to venture to say that in your specific case, it's a detraction having 
that skill set or that set of knowledge. Only partially. The other part is that I was a real estate agent or am a real estate agent or, you know, whatever. So where I would walk in. So at the time I started was like really where the market was kind of picking up after the crash. So I was 24, five, six at the time. And so a lot of my clients were younger. And at the time it was much less pressurized, which means a lot of their parents were also accompanying. So having the background that I had, I would come along and every girl named, you know, whatever's dad was there going, well, this looks like they kind of did a crap flip and this and that. And, and, and so at the same time, like my value as an agent is being able to identify shoddy work. Mm. You know, if you're mm-hmm. getting, if you're getting sloppy on the trim, like the last final details, that's the stuff you can see. And Ted will tell you, like, so what can we not see that's buried under here when Bob and Tim, like, did this on the weekend? You know, some dump out here. Like, you know, that, that... You, you, you can make anything shiny. And, and and so, like, my value at one point is being able to build a house that will not have problems later, but also being able to identify to all of my other income, my mm-hmm. clients, that this house... Like, is a piece. Like, this is a bet. Like, that's my job. Hey, man, that's an old water spot. Like, this is shoddy build. Without also, like, stepping out of, and there's a big legal gray area on, like, being outside of your expertise. But at the same time. No, we like, do it all the time on this show. No, no but, like, <laughs> like legally as a real estate agent. Like, when you're, you're showing you're a not, property. You're what? not supposed to give it. Like, my job is to point out, like, hey, this looks like this. And from what I've seen, it should look like this. And therefore, like, we should have somebody check this out. And, I, my, and my concern would be, like, how this goes in an inspection or, or what, like, this licensed professional would think about this without. You so know, that's my biggest downfall as a real estate agent, too, because I would work even with a traditional client. I'd be walking a property, and I'd see these significant foundation issues that normally people had no idea what they're looking at. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, you got this cracking pattern going into the drywall two stories up. And I was like, obviously, there's settlement that's, that's happening. That's not nothing. And, I, and they, I remember I had this one client I was working with, and we are trying to find his like forever home. And he was an investor. Not the die box. He, he was an investor. <laughs> and, and we were trying to find his die box. And he's like, Did and I he's, die like box? He's, he's like, the house is going to die in. And, oh, uh, oh, oh <laughs> okay. Okay. That's our last <laughs> two episodes ago. Yeah, two episodes ago. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. The house you're going to end up <laughs> loving and yeah, living in you. forever is your die box. <laughs> so I, so I would go, you know, I'd walk in these properties and I'd be like, hey, I'm like, I'd, I'd showcase this stuff because he's like, I want to do a cash offer. I want to close this out now. And any traditional agent would be like, yeah, let's do it. We're putting an offer on this. But when I work with an agent or I work with a client, it takes me ten times longer to sell a house because, unfortunately, I you know for for five six years I seeked out off market properties for people and I saw all the crap. Right. And now I'm like I'm like don't buy this and he's like no this is the house I want it I'm like you no. can't you can't recommend it yeah I can't recommend it and I, it's because of my foundation experience or right. you know flipping or whatever not I do have an incredible eye for properties I'm not saying I'm a contractor or I know how to fix everything but. I can I know what the heck I'm looking at, right? And and it, and it hinders me, but also I, every time I work with a new client, I'm like, hey, just so you know, if you want to buy a house through me, it's going to take probably about five times longer to buy the house because I because I know what I'm looking at and I can tell you right. what the issues. So I actually make way less money as a realtor, but I, I earn a lot more respect out of it, though. Too. Right. See, and I always thought that that was kind of. I don't think that was where I was at. I think that that was the reason that I retained and continued to earn business. Um, so after I left the team that we were talking about earlier, it was 
maybe a year or a year and a half until everything after that, like I just quit marketing and I had enough referral business to like kind of string me along that I was comfortable with, with it's kind of its own trap. Like you make enough money to pay your bills and you don't work a whole lot and you're kind of doing what you like just based on that value that I thought I brought. But, um, you're constrained by like being able to offer a professional opinion to the same effect. Like if you go in a split entry out West and you're like, Hey, uh, well, we're worried about this cracking, the step cracking in these center block walls. You're like, well, it's normal. They left it. There's no downspout right there. Like that's obviously what it is, you know, but you can't convince a 25 year old person's dad that that's what's (laughs) wrong with this house. You know what I mean? And I'm also at the time young and I'm running around with like, Looking like this, like with a looking like what? Looking like what? Just like tattoos and a beard, and my boss is like, "Put some sleeves on," and I'm like, "Nah, I'm gonna get the young people," you know. And I'm trying to tell somebody's dad, like, "Hey, I kind of grew up doing this stuff. Like, this is fine." And so when I change the conversation, is at I had a couple of people out, and they they go, "Hey, uh, put a marker on the wall and see if it moves. This is normal. This is like step one of anything." And then I'm like, "Well, this is what happened last." You say marker? We always say marble. Yeah, I'm like, yep. well, you know, if it if it gets bigger, keep an eye on it. But other than that, like, we can blow this deal up. You can call somebody out. All they're going to tell you is there's a crack here. It looks like it's settling. And then anything from there, you just kind of keep an eye on. If it gets worse, let us know. But they're not going to be able to tell you what's wrong with it unless it continues to get worse. So what, one thing I want to bring up, <clears throat> you mentioned a little bit ago that finish work, when it's shoddy, it might be a leading indicator that there's other problems in the house. So when someone is walking through a property and they see a uh, trim that is not lined up correctly, the joints aren't caulked, uh, nail holes are there. Yeah, you just bought a new truck, right? Yeah. Where you were forced to buy a new yes. truck? Yes. How many yeah. of those trucks have you seen since you bought it? How many have I seen? Oh, uh, you mean just the like that reticular just, activating system? That's like, what I'm talking I, about. I notice them all the time. Yeah. So when you see one thing, you're like, "Well, they did a real kind of crap job painting yeah. that." And then you see, and then it exactly, exactly. So, so here's where I was going with this. I always say I have this saying, and I, I'm sure I stole it from somebody, but when you're 90 percent done with a project, you're 50 percent done. Meaning, oh my the, gosh, I agree with you. <laughs> the finished work takes forever. And if you get to a blue tape stage in a project, so you're walking through with your contractor and they think they're done or they're hoping you're going to agree with them that they're done. And you have, you're like, dude, I, oh, and I, I will also, I'm going to say this, this is kind of a ballsy statement, but like there is no painter that actually paints for a living. That's alive. That does not know exactly where all the drips are. <laughs> oh. And I will die on that hill. And and this is complete BS because you walk through a house whenever you're flipping it or whatever, and you have a painter working for you, and you see the that crap all the time, and it drives me freaking crazy because I know they see it. So, all you gotta do is turn the light on; it's right there. So, you're you're. This is your job. I know you see that. So, so this project you're sitting in right now got done over a year ago. My contractor is here right now doing my blue tape stuff from a year ago. Yeah, so you you get it, I right? Was, yeah, like he's here finishing stuff that should have so been a we, long time ago. So we we all have, I have this, a handrail that's missing up front now since the day I bought the place. So I feel See? like we all have this we all have the same problem, and none of us know how to fix that. Yeah, I, and, well, and, and the immediate answer is none of us can find good help. Except now I'm in a position where I'm on both sides of it, and I'm, I'm trying to be the good help, and I'm still running into the same so problems. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one thing that I know somebody does. Okay, so my dad started a finishing company. 
So he literally it go he does he only does high end homes. So he works on the million plus dollar houses, and his only job is going and finish the final five percent. And he is making some serious coin. I'm like I'm not like talking like thirty to forty k a ye- a month, um, doing just finishing work. Like he All goes right, so, so that's awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm dead serious. How do we do that? That's my biggest. I even have the name. I have the name. I I got this, dude. We got it. Blue tape solutions. This is is, boom. We're starting it today. This is uh, this is a new business. Yo, all right. Scalability is going to be your issue Uh, because the problem is you got to give you got to find people to give a. That's the big thing. That's that's my that anybody any this has got to be in here. We can't anybody anybody I hire. They just that's the thing. That's that's my other biggest flaw. Nobody ever cares about this as much as I do. All right, let's dig into this. So. What is your okay? I'm putting so, you on the spot. So we'll go back. The two biggest mistakes that I think that I've ever made, aside from bad hires, everybody's going to have bad hires. That's unavoidable. People are going to convince you that they're good at their job the same way I convince everybody else that I'm good at what I do. And then half the time I drop the ball, just like everybody else that I hire always drops the ball. But all I can do is be well intentioned. So aside from that, is you can find somebody who's not going to rip you off. You can find somebody who's going to show up on time. And then the other big thing is you're going to be done on time, mm-hmm. which is the trap that everybody tells you is the thing that you want to be good at. But what you actually want is to know where all the problems are, like you're talking about. For example, house I'm working on now, we subbed out the painters, subbed out all the drywallers. And now that I'm doing all the finish work, like we're talking about now, I'm seeing all the problems that are still in the walls, which I have mentally excluded as something that I need to check. Meaning because you're, you're going because through there it. are several fail safes in front of me. Somebody's been hired to fix all of the drywall in the house, the whole house. Go through, fix everything. That was literally your job description. Patch all the corners, fix all the dents on the walls, go through the whole house. It was booty. None of it was good. So now the next thing, I think, the painter that I've been working with for the last two years, when you know what I expect. So when you go in and you just paint over it and then you see it and then you don't fix it, don't mention it. Don't bring. They're hoping you, like, you're like, not going to say so, anything. So what's the that. thing? Like, is this, is this an issue where you didn't bring up a major flaw to me, or is this an issue where you decided to ignore it, or is this a preparatory issue from you? Like, where is your job description? Like, mm-hmm. you're talking about getting a contract with expectations. Who's supposed to do what? Am I, as the project manager, supposed to come back, verify that all the drywall work is to the way that I expect it, and even if it's not. Am I expecting them or should they be held accountable to come back and fix it to my liking? At which point should that be something I have discussed before? Or should I walk through with the painter ahead of time and say, hey, man, uh, you need to walk through and find like all of this stuff. And as soon as you paint it, if you start finding problems in the corners or with the walls, like that's your job to address that. You need to sand that. You need to fix that. You need to let me know like where like I shouldn't be tiling the wall and putting the mirror on and then realizing all these flaws in the drywall eight steps ago. Like, how can I prevent all of that? Mm-hmm. Where's where's the line between my management and my uh, clearly delivered expectation and who's responsible for inspecting Well, that's the problem. With if, if there's somebody that was an actual finisher coming into the property, and I mean, you... <clears throat> As a person that has maybe even a limited budget on a particular property, you're like, you're like, well, why am I paying another guy to come in to finish all this stuff when these my drywaller, my painter, my electrician, and so on, so on, so on, they didn't finish their work. So am I am I discounting 
my payment to them or am I trying to get reimbursement to pay for the now my finishing guy to come in? And that's why the the, the finishing guy is not a, not a position that's widely known. Or do you spend all night fixing it yourself? <laughs> <laughs> so here's why I love Chris. No, but that's the, that's the trap. That's the problem. That's the trap is you break one rule and then the next thing you go against your gut and the next thing you make one bad hire. And then the next thing you spend two nights screwing around when you probably should have been working on that project. And then you spend 500 bucks that you shouldn't have. And then now you're a week behind and you're pulling your hair out, trying to get it done and everybody around you scrambling. And that's how you end up at the the end of a bad. Yeah. Well, okay. But, but before you, before we move on from this, I just want to point out that, so uh, Chris, our guest here, has uh, managed a couple of fer- pretty significant rehabs for my business, and he's finishing up one right now, which we're talking about, and he's... Neither of which have gone great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's it depends on perspective. I, I mean, you, I don't know your other projects. I don't think they've gone great. We're, we're paying you to solve problems. <laughs> I don't think they've gone great, he says. <laughs> what? We're paying you to solve problems. The end yeah, result- but I also hate everything that I get done with. Yeah, so he does. Like- he, do- he doesn't like his own cooking. But I'm also um, not doing million dollar houses, so I'm not being like uh, humbly, you know, whatever. It's well, just, okay, let's. That just didn't turn out. I, I would say you're you are your own worst critic, and you, which comes back to my book recommendation for later. Okay, and and you do have a hard time with the who not how thing. I so, do. Uh, but so you know, I, that, we're I, not going to solve that in this episode. No, but if but, I could also ask for the biggest amount of help in one area, that would probably be it. Okay. All right, fair enough. Not um, that I'm, but I feel like that's a hard thing for me to ask because I feel like the only way to help me with that is to like hand me something that looks like a solution. In which case, I always feel like I'm just asking for somebody to solve my problems. Like I haven't found the solution to this. Like, can you give me the answer? And that's also like another mental point that I have a hard time with this because I know that I can. Like just grab the reins and, and like I always have this immediate urge to just jump back and be like, "This mm-hmm. is all falling apart." I got like this. It, it's not. It's out of the it's way. Time. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I can't. I just can't do it all the time. It's not sustainable. Okay, so you dropped the book thing. What, what's the whole story behind the book thing? Uh, the book is called "Stop Doing That Ish." And I've never heard of that. Tell ish. me about it. Uh, just say it. Uh, it's called "Stop Doing That Shit." Okay. It's by the same guy who wrote "How to Un." yourself gary something i don't i can't i can never remember his last name yeah. anyway he has a whole like a uh, group of books kind of basically big. get out of your own way it, is what he's yeah except it's not just like hey here's a a problem you may have never considered and this is probably what's wrong with you it's all actionable steps so mm-hmm. it's more like um, a playbook so so one of my biggest issues i've been dealing with this year is that so last year i i think i probably made more money than i've ever made before and then it seems like you spent more money than you ever spent before. <laughs> I've also spent more money than I've ever spent before. And now we're talking about like not... It takes money to make money, right? We're not a lot amount of money, but there was a weird part where like I pushed off all of my accounting and then I realized like, oh crap, I like I did better than I ever did last year. And then I just lost it. Why? It, uh, I think it's like a self defeating self-sabotage thing. yeah self-sabotage so that's what this whole book is on like how to mm. it's it's not so much like trying to get you to identify how it's more why and like what you believe about the world and people and what you think of yourself and then how to actionably change that 
uh, like on a subconscious level, I love like where you're reactionary because this has been the whole thing for me. Like all, all of these dynamics are where I'm like, I feel like everything's falling apart. This house isn't going, it's late. None of these guys are doing what I thought they would. And I'm maybe I'm expecting too much. Maybe they're in the wrong place. Maybe I made a bad hire. Maybe I, they don't know what I think they know. Maybe we're on different levels of expectations on how I want things done and how I think that they're doing them. And then also conflating that with like how it turned out, understanding their capabilities mixed with how I envisioned it in my mind and how I think that I could do it myself, which is always the constant battle. And then how do you mix that in with finding help and trusting other people and then also empowering the people that you find that you're confident in what they're doing instead of always feel like that you're scolding them or criticizing them or trying to get them to do things differently. It's a constant back and forth. If anyone ever had a stream of consciousness that described the mental situation in an investor's head, this is it. Dude, <laughs> what you just said. Like, this is you emotional now, there. I love yeah, that. The, well, well, this, no, I, I mean, this I, is it. I mean, this, this goes yeah. through everyone's mind while they're doing these type of projects. Like, it I, sucks. I, I but. feel like there's two There's two different things, though. Like, I'm... Yeah, you you, I'm, you have no, you have opposing uh, I'm, I'm forces on the side, here. Yeah, but I'm on the side where I'm on both sides. But at yeah. the same time, I realize that. And I imagine that somebody who maybe doesn't have the skills that I have is sitting on the other side with the same stress, frustrations. Also terrified and feeling powerless because when things fall apart for me there's either whether it's realistic or not like this thing in my brain that goes i can fix this i can solve it and that's when i try to take the reins and i can't imagine what that's like sitting on the other side being like oh helpless yeah i can't or or just deciding that you can't fix this even if you tried and at that point you don't know what to do because it's worse than that like helplessness man I'm, i'm that's that's good stuff, man. Like I, I I'm not not to make light of no, but the, that's the struggle because I mean, that's, that's, that's the struggle. Yeah, but that's that's the end point. Like regardless of where you start and how you get there, there's a point at one point in time where you're like, I'm out of money and I feel like I messed this up, and now I've upset this person, this person, this person, and all of those things that are bad. None of which lead me in the right direction to even solve any of my problems or how I'm even to figure out like what I got going on tomorrow to get it done to answer these five phone calls and deal with these two clients and then deal with 20 spam calls during the day and then also guess what you forgot the one thing you were supposed to remember today i'm going to give you a quick then- <laughs> com- i'm going to give you a quick compliment and then then we will uh, move on to a different uh topic here that's cool so my compliment to you is this you have described a lot of worry and uh like concern about doing things right and well and doing right by people and not disappointing people. That's what I've kind of heard or distilled out of all this. And I would tell you as a two-time customer of your remodeling uh, services, and I know you do a lot of other stuff and you eat your own cooking with flips and all that, but like we are, we meaning my partner, Brandon and I are ecstatic with the job that you did on our most recent remodel and the one before that. So I would tell you that you are way too hard on yourself because despite the pressure that may seem like, you know, is being applied here, you're doing a great job, man. You're doing way no, better I, and you're way more conscientious I than, appreciate that, but than Chris, don't talk it. Than ninety percent of the people Dude, that I ever deal shh, with. Shh. And I would tell you that we talk a lot about how we can involve you more on more stuff if you have the capacity. But I know that you struggle with that and where you're well, not that you struggle with that. 
you're in a you're in a spot where you have to figure things out and you have a lot of stuff on your plate and we realize it and recognize it but I want to give you some kudos because you need them I mean, you know and like I'm, and I'm going to piggyback on it too you know running the RIA and getting to know you have the last four years uh, a couple years now dude you you're, flipped the RIA around by the way thank if you, people don't tell you enough the, this take, is a take, whole new take thing take this first though <laughs> but <laughs> Your your reputation though precedes you, man. You have a great reputation out there, and I've heard nothing negative about you. I've seen your work. Your work is amazing, uh, and and yes, you've had some downfalls, and 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 I want to get into failing forward in two, in two sections here, but I'm gonna tell you what, man. You, you you have a great reputation out there, and people actually look up to you, and 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 it mm-hmm. makes a big deal when you come around because people want to know what you have going on. So I, I, I think you're in your head heavily and you've had some failures, but I think your successes, you're not you're not realizing the successes that you had because they are tremendous. And I really want to get into the question right now before you conflict with the with, with our responses. Is, <laughs> where is Chris going to be in five years, 10 years? Where's your future lay? We'll start with one year. Dude, I, I, where you I going, can't answer man? that. No, I, ca- I can't. Where do you want to be? I can't answer that. And I'm not. Where does Chris want to be? I don't know. That's where I, I think. I don't believe you. I think no. Uh, okay, so what, okay, so no. You put, I, I right would, now, I would, what, do you, what do you got going on? I'd like to. Deba- I'd like to debate this. Actually, so I am at a pivotal point where. What are we debating? <laughs> where where I want to be because I think you have an idea of like how you might think where I want. Perceive, to, we might perceive you. Is that what you're saying? No, just might like where I might want to move forward when you say where you want to be, and I think the forward for me kind of goes like this. Or that I'm at a point now where it's looking like there's. A, What's your dream? Where where where, where are you in five so years now? What's your dream? I just I would love to just build motorcycles in the middle of the desert forever, but that's not super realistic. The, the, that is a great. That's dream, not though. super realistic until I have like twenty Airbnbs and I can just disappear. Right. Oh, oh here we go. Right. You just okay. Got to do it. Right. Yeah. All so, right. Okay. Okay. So when will you? When in your life do you, can you have twenty Airbnbs? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. So that's what I mean by the pitchfork in the road now. So current. So I pride myself on have always been a jack of all trades or a hard worker or whatever the case is. And none of those things buy me anything. All that buys me is being torn in 20 different directions with too much desire to be good at everything and not ever actually ending up being all that great at anything. So my biggest fault is... I do everything like 95% and I hire people that do everything 95% and then I'm stuck holding the bag on the last 5% and it kicks me in the ass and it drives me crazy. And so I'm trying to figure out how to like, where is the point where I can improve that and also let go of feeling like I have to have those same responsibilities, but then figure out like, what, like, what do I want to do, man? Cause right now I'm, well, you just said it. You said I'm, you want I'm, 20 Airbnbs and you got an Airbnb I know, now, right? But I'm, but I'm a realtor and I'm an investor and I have an Airbnb and I do contracting work and I do plumbing and I Great. do electrical and I do mechanical I, work. I, and I, ask like, me what, what I do. No, I get that. Ask me what I do. You do what a you, podcast, you're a real estate agent, you're a dad, you're a husband. You're, you're, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, run, I run eight Airbnbs. I got, I got right. contracting plans going. I, I, I totally am right okay, there so, with so you. Then, so then which it's a decision, right? Which which one do you decide or or do you just decide to do all of them? Because mm-hmm. that for me deciding to do all of them is a tough spot for it doesn't me because work. Beca- well it, it works feel, for now. It, it can work. I think where my issue lies with that is that I don't feel like I'm doing any of them very well. 
You're, you're you're only putting twenty to thirty percent of your effort in each project. If you could put hundred percent anything, you yeah, feel like you'd but succeed. I want all of it. Man. <laughs> I totally feel you, man. Because I'm having to, <laughs> I'm, I'm having these issues myself right now because um, I own part of a real estate company. I am a team leader of twelve agents. That probably consumes forty to fifty percent of my week right now. Is it my biggest producing asset? No. I'm a realtor. That probably consumes another twenty percent. But I actually get half of it to my mom. And my mom's running those leads. It's probably my biggest producing income right now. But I'm not in. I I know. And then I got my Airbnbs. And I got my over. Right. I'm, pro, I'm a project manager technically, you know. And then and I got all this stuff going on. We're, you know, we're podcast hosts. Yeah. But if I if I could just focus on something fully, I know I can make that. The I can make the best of it. I could be the best in the city, the state, the country if I could just focus on that one thing. Right now, though, financially, it's not an option. So right now, I'm trying to utilize the people around me to build up those those items, like real estate. Real estate is my biggest income producer right now. So right now, I'm utilizing my mom to help me with my real estate business, and we have a deal worked out. Ah, uh, that that's the trap. So so I got I had I I'm trying to find the people to partner with, not necessarily a partnership, but work with. Uh, to be able to build those individual things, so I can put my one focus on, and my one focus on is I, is like the, with the we have a local RIA, so I, I I have the most fun and I enjoy my RIA. You seem like you enjoy more than anything lot. else, but I don't make any money. I've, I in in two years I've taken a thousand dollar check to myself. Yeah, but define making money. Putting money in my account. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but okay, okay. Uh, uh, all right, but. Uh, is that ever like actually possible with that? No, no, totally is to the, to the degree that you want. So, and, and it, to the it, point where I mean, where is the money? Is, with, is, with, within means nine it, months, it'll be it, it will be expanded statewide, and I will be able to make some money enough to be able to put money back in my account. Okay, so let me let me change that statement. Where's the value in that? Because uh, they're not the same thing. So the right? value in it is right now is reputation build. So is that where the money is later? It is. So then that's where the money is. Right? Well, right in right now, you know, but. Ideally, my my for me my my plan is from five years from now is to be so right now I had a, I put a five year goal out two years ago ish and I said I want to double my portfolio every year for the next uh for the next uh, three years which I have been doing currently right now which is not substantial I'm not I'm not being an Owen I'm not being a Colin Schwartz and so on and so on but no but doubling year to year to year is not and and I take a <clears throat> big project so I I know personally I make more revenue off my my huge renovations in the long run short term it it kills me <laughs> but in the long run I make I make you know triple quadruple the money that an average person makes on their individual property so I think these are good for me right now to build up my but I've, my goal is to make twenty thousand dollars a month of 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 net cash income in my pocket after all expenses. Why are you laughing at me? Why twenty? <laughs> no, but here's 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 a trick though, right? But, why why twenty? Because at twenty k, I can pay all my bills and 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 live the life that I want to live. Nobody cares. Why is I it don't not- care? I don't care what anybody cares. That's what it takes for me to do it. Yeah, I, but what is it? But the what it takes and what you want are not the same thing. Why is it not a hundred? Well, I'm not saying I'm, I can get there. I'm just saying, right at 20k, I can start. At 20k, I can pull back from my from the real estate. I can pull back from my other obligations. Yeah, but what? That's that's the trick, man. That's the trick, dude. That's that's the trick. So you you set the. I don't I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, tell you me. set the goal. You you do. I don't even I don't even feel what I'm saying. So you do like what I did <clears throat> last year, right? You go from one house. You go from five. And then you make more money than you've ever made before. And then you're like, all right, cool. Turn the page. Mail it in. But let me ref- But you but you dial back, man. 
you reach a certain point of comfort, you set a number and you go, I want to make this. And then you hit it and you're like, I got some money in the bank. Wife's happy. Kids happy. Bills paid. I got this little Airbnb, a couple of these little other things. I don't even need, why, why some 20's fine. 20. I, I am actually 20's fine. I don't, I, I don't need to be making a hundred million dollars. I, I, it's not, it's, it's not about need. It's about what do you do then? So my, the, that's where I want to know from you though. You can't give me an answer where you're going to be in five years. Because I haven't done it more than once. But where did where does Chris want to be? What's his life look like in five years? Where what what's the dream? Okay, you, so you told me you told me right there. It's no, you're tw- right. It's twenty Airbnbs. But what does twenty, 20 Airbnbs 20, do you? Twenty was an ancillary number. So here's where I'm at currently. So uh, so currently my grandparents used to flip a bunch of houses, and that was how they made their money from South Mississippi when they moved here. Mind you, not a lot of money, all of which is gone now. Um, but they have a house with all of their equity, and they want to continue flipping houses, but they are not physically equitable. So um, my goal at this point in five years is to, I think, based on, uh, I bought a duplex in 2020. I had some long-term tenants. I didn't love it. And then now I Airbnb it. It's going much better. I think here locally, especially on the downtown side of things, there's a decent opportunity um, if you're willing to set the systems in place and not be overly eager to make a decent amount of money in the downtown area. Um, just based on travelers, the most of my Airbnb stays have literally been random stuff from, uh, bachelorette parties to zoo stays to people moving across the country to now the old Sokol auditoriums open again. So it'll be people coming to see concerts. It's totally random. Um, but probably the best decision I've ever made. Now, if I could get a few more of those based on my grandparents' equity that I could borrow against, then we could get a couple more Airbnbs, and then that will help them like not live entirely on Social Security, and we'll put a couple bucks in my pocket. And then if I can get a couple more that I can maintain, then I can go live somewhere else if I wanted to or be less dependent on work. But my issue is that when I come into some money, I like to not work so much. So that's what I mean when you get to a point where you're making 20 grand a month, then what do you do with yourself? Because on the other side of that, I remember going, if I could just make this, I'd be fine. And then I got there and I was like, I don't have any money left. Like I got to do more. And then you get stuck in this thing where like your old goal isn't enough. And then the first time you don't even make your old goal and you're like, whoa, well now I'm moving backwards. That's a whole another thing. So, so Here's a question for you before before we get into our our next set of questions. Ultimately, in the end, what what is your why? Like, what do you why are you doing what you do? Um. So initially, I wanted to be, I wanted to have enough residual income to where I didn't have to feel like I had to work so much, and that was always what it was. Is that I. I didn't, I didn't want a bunch of money. I didn't, at the time, have a bunch of family to take care of. I wanted to feel like I didn't have to do as much as I felt like I needed to do every day. I was tired of picking up bartending jobs in the winter. I was tired of working on people's cars to make some extra money. And a lot of it was to my own self-detriment. But I wanted that feeling of that I needed to pick up where I messed up or mix, you know, 
whatever I was doing improperly to where now you got two things mixed together. You're not making any money on either one of them because you got too much going on. So then what do you do from there? Like, how can I streamline that? And then how can I swap that feeling out to where I feel like I'm making enough? You know what, you know what I wish. And and this, I think is a recurring theme with a lot of real estate investors that are in this business to in it, to win it. Right. I think the challenge is a lot of us don't like people's thumb on us. We don't like the authority thing and we like freedom of time, but it's also freedom of money. There's two, you know, there's, there's kind of like similar dynamics with that, but the challenge is in life in general, stuff gets more expensive. You want more and different things. And like you maybe get married or your life situation gets, you know, changed, but it wouldn't be awesome if you could just work your ass off until a certain point. And then you're like, you level, you, you hit a level and you're like, okay, now you're good. You're (laughs) there's, but it's, it doesn't exist. That's the problem. And, and I think, um, one thing I wanted to at least bring up for a second is, I have noticed being surrounded now of the last five years since I've been a full-time, you know, real estate guy, a lot of people, including myself, feel really strange when there's an absence of chaos in their life. And that's why Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I think that is why you have a tendency to absorb multiple jobs and responsibilities and take on more than you probably should. And it is challenging to balance that with leading a normal, well-balanced life because the absence of chaos sucks. Like when you're so used so then, to it so every what you, night. What do you what do you do with it? What do you do with like, it? I think. What he, do you do with it? Yeah. And then what does Ted do with it? And then I, I don't. This, no, th- this, these are never the conversations I don't feel like I ever really hear a lot about. On like what? Yeah. So I do. You, do you guys know what I'm talking about with this? Do you Do you ever feel this? Like, and I, you're, and I mean on a personal level. Don't like your yeah. your spouse helping you is not the answer to this question. Yeah. That's, so what? How do you deal? Basically, like if you're used to having a lot of irons in the fire and things going on and being busy, and then all of a sudden something is gone from that. Is that what you, you're kind of, well, it's gone quick. Yeah. So like, let's say you are busy, busy, busy and you, and you thrive in that stress is uh, an igniter for basically your productivity. Right. I think this happens to a lot of people. I feel this with my, myself, just, I don't know what it is about me. Something's wrong mentally, I think with people like me. And if you remove something from my life that takes a lot of stress or activity out of it, I kind of freak out a little bit mentally, not outwardly. Like you would probably never know that if we were just talking or whatever, but like all of a sudden you're like, what, what do I do now? I don't know what to do with myself because I have this void. So you go about trying to fill that void with other things that might be busy work and counterproductive to what you should ultimately be doing, which is focusing on things that are highest and best use of your time. So to answer your question, what do I do? I don't think I have it all figured out. I think I do things that probably are detrimental to my overall well-being because of the absence of chaos. So I still look to fill that void with things, and it's not always the best things. But I think being cognizant of the absence of chaos and what it is 
what it is doing to you, if you fill it with whatever you're filling it with, that is an important step in getting better as a person. That's when I go get a tattoo. <laughs> See, I don't have that, man. Like, I don't, I don't have that gas. It's not fill. too late, man. Yeah, you're due, you're due for. Uh, am I? Yeah, you see me rocking, uh, rocking some sleeves. That's great, dude. I love it. I'm ready for another tattoo. Yeah, Ted has a uh, tramp stamp. That's all, the only one. He has. Do you really? No, I don't. Oh, <laughs> I was waiting for a full blown story here, man. This. Is... <laughs> oh my god, it's great. But there's there's something that I I wanted to add, and and I I know I don't add much of. And I got back my mic this episode so I could say something. But we need to fix that. No, 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 no. So so it has to do with growth, right? And understanding growth. And I think while we are growing, we still think of growth as a linear like movement instead of an exponential movement. So Ted is like you you are in this chaos right now where well quote unquote chaos right now where you feel as if you're underwater with everything, right? But if you have a five year plan to grow, you are underwater for four, but when you hit that fifth year, that's when you come out shooting out of the water and it's like the whole exponential growth thing is what we tend to forget. Because while we're in it, we are like we should be seeing progress while we are going. And when we don't see progress, you're like, nah, nothing happening. Nothing's and changing. then no, yeah. it's like, you know, we just had to be persistent with it. Continue. I struggle with this right now with my business because right now, I, I mean, I'm looking for clients thinking that I could get my clients. You know, I should be having 10 clients by the end of the year. And even though I only have three, I'm like, okay, it's a process. It will come. I just need to continue working the plan. And once I work the plan by year three, I would have what I want and then I would be... So it's, it's like patience. Having the patience to work the plan, that is what we have to remember constantly. But while we are in it, we tend to forget that because we just want it to happen now, <laughs> you know? So that That is great and very insightful. And I would also add to that that um, you get to a point where you, you hear a lot about people that give up right before... There's, you know, there's memes about it where somebody's digging for gold and yep. they get like right to the very end and then Close they give up. So mm -hmm. they've been working on it forever. Mm -hmm. And then some dude comes in with a pickaxe and like hits it one time. There's all the gold. Yep. Right. Like, so there's, there's that where it's, you don't knowing when to like fold and when to, you know, stay in the pot is, is a tricky thing. But I think if you, if you have the right people and plan in place, you can you can stick to that until you hit a point of exponential growth. Mm -hmm. But if you try a bunch of different things and see what sticks and don't put much effort into any of them, then it's you lack focus and that that's a hard thing to, you know, knock through some barriers for, I guess. Yep. All right, Chris, this has been amazing discovering the trials and tribulations that you've been through in the last few years. This has been a deep episode. Yeah, it has. I mean, yeah. I, I feel a For little emotional right now. I, I do. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, here's the last section of our our beloved podcast by us. I don't know about anybody else since we haven't had many reviews lately. But here we go. We're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. Chris, in this section, we like to cover five questions, maybe six, perhaps seven. We never know. Keeping that, you on the edge. Keeping you on the edge. And we ask this, uh, we ask these of every guest, and we uh, just, these are kind of rapid fire. So let us know uh, what your thoughts are. Okay. You ready? 
Yep. First question for you. All right. Your first book that you author is going to be called what or about what, if you don't have the title picked out. Boom. 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 Here. How I would not do it next time. How, How I would not do it next time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and if you listen to this whole entire episode, you kind of have an idea yeah, of that. From age 16 on, just the yeah. whole book. It's like the OJ book, like uh, if I had done it. You know, <laughs> I have not read that, but uh, sounds intriguing. <laughs> is that what is Hopefully, there's no murders in your background. Yeah, it is. Um, look it up. So, no, that's good. All there's right, so, not, by the way, no murders. Good. That's good to know. <laughs> if I have not done it, okay. So, Chris, here's the next question: What did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? Uh, so the, <laughs> I'll never forget this. The first thing I wanted to do when I was a kid was uh, I told my dad I wanted to be a mechanic, and he goes. No, 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 no. Mind you, I grew up doing mechanic work with my dad, and he's like, no, no, you don't don't want to do this every day. I said, yeah, I do. And then uh, by the time I was like 13, I went, no, I don't want to do this every day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, it's funny you said that because my dad was a mechanic growing up, and and he he built race cars and, you know. Oh, cool, yeah. But he's like, he would not show me how to work on cars. At, he, like at all? No. Even the most basic stuff? He did not want me to learn. He's like, oh. I, he's like, I don't want you to end up like me. That's some sacrifice. So, so he's like, he's like, so I watched him build like a race car from ground up, you know, right. and he always had cars he's working on. And I learned some basics. I ended up running a, sh- a couple shops as a service manager oh, at some point. I totally in my life. forgot about that. Yeah. But, 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 but it's, I could run, I could get on the computer and look up the stuff and no, I know the basics, but he was like, nope, you're not going to learn this stuff. And, but my brother, my little brother, he he actually ended up fabricating cars with him. Your little brother. <laughs> My little brother. It was totally bold, and then he has his own mechanic shop in the back of his house right now. And they still work together to this day. Yep, man, <laughs> him yep. and your dad. Yeah, my yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of funny. That's awesome. All right. A little more depressing topic here, but. Perfect. Who is going to give your eulogy, and what do you hope they will say about you? Oh, man, I don't know who give my eulogy because ideally that would be somebody younger than me. Otherwise, I maybe died <laughs> too soon, right? So um, so this has been a question that I've been kind of rethinking lately. Um, I, I'm not a super religious person, but I've always kind of thought that one of the few Like principled guiding philosophies in my life has always been that no matter what I did, I always wanted somebody at my funeral to go. That was the best dude I knew, whether it was because they thought that I would always help them when they needed it or that I was always uh, around or reliable. And I think that those are some of like the deeper underpinnings of probably the same way I can't let go of some of the control of stuff or I have a difficult time saying no is that I always want to be held somewhere in that regard. Um, But I don't know if that's the healthiest thing anymore. So that's been a topic that I've been revisiting, but um, definitely been a guiding principle that even if it's not the most prominent thing in my life, I think is still fairly valuable. Yeah. Even if it's something that I want to push like further out of the forefront, I don't think it's entirely invaluable. So Chris Coleman, good dude. That's your eulogy. <laughs> good dude. If I could be anything, it'd Short be a sweet. good dude. He's the dude. Where, where's the white Russians? <laughs> okay, the next question that we have is, if I'm calling you 12 months from now, 
what's your business going to look like and what are you going to talk about on the podcast? Ooh. All right. So this is, uh, I think I'm at a point where I'm trying to pivot, uh, around into doing more. Uh, I think my next phase of growth is the repeated theme in this episode, being able to find a way to let go of some of the control of stuff, do better hiring, um, take what I've learned in the past and uh, not breaking my own rules and then stepping more into the management or project management side of thing and being able to kind of let go of some of that control with myself. And instead of investing that time running myself into the ground, trying to get projects done, if I took literally that same excruciating amount of time and found better um, help, I think. So my philosophy... Anytime I get in a bind, I'll call somebody and go, hey, man, just like let me know what you want to do. It And at that point, my brain is always going, I don't have time for this, and there's plenty enough money to go around. It's like a abundance thing right, instead so. of a scarcity thing, unless I don't need help. And then I'm going, where would I pay somebody else to do this when I could just put the money <laughs> in my own pocket? So that's like an internal dilemma. Um, and I, I think it's more deeply rooted in a lot of the like uh, – just the way I grew up and like my ideas about the world and money and like what I can or might become and trying to sort through uh, all of those things to move into the next step instead of feeling like I'm getting to a spot where I'm about to hit the cusp and then finding some way to dial myself down. So if I can push myself out of my own comfort zone in the next several years, it will be to relinquish some of that control from myself, but also I feel like the best way to combat that is to find a better way to empower other people to um, want to do a good job, be able to do a good job, have a clear understanding of what's expected and what they're needed to do, and then be able to have the patience to wait that out and then uh, find a suitable way to create or correct that when it's inevitably a disaster later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good stuff. (laughs) All right. What are you looking for in your business right now or in your life right now? And how could potentially listeners help with that or, and how can they reach you? Uh, so the biggest thing right now is, uh, I got a handful of different projects going on, um, to where I need reliable, um, people that want to work that can show up, um, when they say they're going to be there. So, uh, I remember when I was 12, I went to a machine shop to have a, uh, something worked on in this truck I was rebuilding and there was a sign on the wall that said, you can have things done two out of three ways. Uh, you can have it done right, done fast or done cheap. Pick two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll never forget that. I still agree with that. I think it's super relevant. So, um, didn't we literally if, if, just if you say got that somebody or, or, or if there's somebody, we, we've literally really? <laughs> quoted that in the last episode. Yeah, dude, it's true, man. And, and like I, I would take, if I, uh, uh, so now my responsibility in that is, is being able to find somebody properly evaluate and then instill them with the confidence to be able to do what they need to do. And then also pay them what it's going to be worth for their time. But also I understand that my communication on what is expected of them is of the utmost importance, but all that has to be crystal clear. And that's even under the assumption that they're, going to do everything that they said they're going to do. And then I'm also going to have the patience to work through it. But I don't think any of those processes are (laughs) perfect. Otherwise we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So my biggest need at this point is, um, yeah, reliable people who want to work, who are, um, I mean, I get that I'm not the kind of person that wants to just show up and work and go home and deal with my stuff. But I also need somebody, 
who doesn't just want to like show up and and do kind of what they're told and then like go home like I, I need you to care I'm willing to pay you to care um, but I just can't pick it up later I mean it's not there's no point in me hiring somebody to do something else if I got to come back and and fix it up so I just want um, the contractor I, that I, cares I, no I, no I just want to be able to hire somebody who takes a kind of pride in the stuff that I think that I do, because I think it's better for both of us. I can solve all of my problems. I can make the money I need to make. The people that are hiring me can have a good product when they're done. And then you can get paid well for doing good work. If you can do it good and do it fast, and then we can have a working relationship and everything's fine, then everybody wins, man. The people that are hiring me win. If it's my project, I win. If you're trying to make money, then you win. You're going to make the same money. Either way, you can get in and get out. Everybody wins, man. If you... I don't know what's so difficult, <laughs> but I, have, I haven't figured it out yet. So that's the biggest uh, bottleneck in my business. That's where I'm trying to go next. That will be the biggest um, thing that helps me the most. So, yeah, if somebody's got um, some clue ins or cool wants to help or wants to make some money, um, it seems like I got enough work to go around. So what's the best way to reach you? Um, you can text me if you want. Uh, I don't know. You guys have yeah, podcast bring it. Or, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's your choice. You want to put that out to the world? <clears throat> yeah, I'll put it out. No, it's fine. It's uh, 402-218-8644. Sounds made up, but that's I know. Fine. I know. I almost went. <laughs> almost, Is there a niner in there? <laughs> no, I got, I I got just, four nines in my phone. I almost, I almost wanted to do the Mike Jones with it so bad, but I couldn't <laughs> do it. Um, yeah, or you can. Uh, my so my name's Chris Coleman. Uh, Coleman like the ice chest. Uh, if you email me, it's Chris Coleman Business at Gmail. Uh, same thing. Uh, for Facebook or Instagram, you can just kind of find me by my name. But yeah, if you want to get a hold of me immediately or uh, anything like that, you can just shoot me a text. Also, if you Google my name, uh, uh, you can edit that out. Don't <laughs> don't Google his fierce. name. Yeah, but if you, I mean, if you if you look if you were to search my name and Realtor Omaha, you could also find me or any of those connective addresses. So, well, our final question for the day on our OT is what people would you want to shout out that have impacted your business and your life? Oh, man. This is... And we're going to play one. music after no, about 30 fine. seconds. Oh, so you, you? you have a limited okay. amount no, of time. No, that's fine. Um, so uh, uh, my first business partner, Jim, uh, that hired me when I was like 16, we've had an awesome evolutionary process, but... Uh, from that point, he helped me get into where I'm at with real estate investing now. Also, Troy Trum, who's probably never going to listen to this, but uh, he gets mixed opinions. But I love Troy. To T- Ted's going to send he's him the link. The, he's going to have dude, to listen to he's it. He's one of the coolest people I know. He he catches flack, but um, he let me out of an awesome contract and didn't sue me. So I like Troy. <laughs> we were cool <laughs> before that. Um, but the next biggest step, honestly, and uh, anything that I've uh, been able to do or be empowered with was the uh, opportunity to work with liquid lending, um, which uh, if it wasn't Owen and the, and the other guys that it, it very much would have been somebody else at that point. Cause I was looking to move along, but um, I was fortunate. Was I your guys first customer? Ooh. If I wasn't the first, I was the second, and it was the most random. It was close. It was yeah, the most random you stuff. You went but, first, but you were but very you guys, close. You guys, you guys set me up to do a bunch of stuff that I couldn't have done last year. Um, I knocked out a bunch of debt that my dad had. Uh, you guys helped me get my mom into a house here um, from Mississippi. 
Uh, and I absolutely could not have done that without you guys. So oh, I appreciate that. But also um, all the money I made last year and also all the pressure I put on myself and and the, <laughs> the crap I'm dealing with now is all because <laughs> you're, of you guys. You're welcome. So thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Nothing comes for free. And also uh, that ridiculous interest rate. But yeah, <laughs> couldn't have done it without you, dude. <laughs> could you're not have done welcome? it without you. <laughs> Question mark. Uh, Opportunity is not free. Yeah. So it's fine. I knew what I was signing up for. But seriously, um, I appreciate everything you guys have done. I appreciate Ted for setting me up here and uh, giving me this opportunity. Also, um, Ted Ted and I are super close, but every time I've seen you, you give me a lot of uh, positive support that you have never known in the moment, but it's very much what I needed in those days. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Love it, man. Chris, thanks for all the shout outs, man. Um, I mean, definitely a deep episode. Uh, I think that people are going to definitely feel that and get the feeling out of you and and I mean, that's kind of, I mean, one thing that you get respect for is just the feeling. I mean, besides the fact that I thought you were some sort of like Facebook male model when I first met you because your profile picture <laughs> was, was like, was like in like a studio and you had your hair all down and you're like, you're Bro, like I was just trying to be like the average brunette <laughs> realtor that didn't look like every other brown haired realtor in town, man. Hey, you know what? Have, have you seen my, have you seen my realtor picture? I mean, it, 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 it's, hey, it's not you know normal. What, uh, so to I'll your you. compliment, man, I, uh, so I, I didn't really know you back then, but I feel like you've absolutely grown into like who, maybe not who you are, but it seems like you're a lot more comfortable just like being like, if you have a profile picture that's finger guns <laughs> and as soon as I look at that, I'm like, that is like, I, because I, I, I know <laughs> enough, of, dude, I know enough about you that I can see your essence in that picture. Whereas before that was never the case, man, we're t- you Three years ago, like when I first came across you, I was like, ah, sorry. "Who's Ted?" <laughs> kind of guys. His confidence what year is, is grown. This dude's Look name is Ted, and 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 now you're just. Uh, I I don't know if you've grown or if you're just more comfortable in your own skin. But it's it's cool to see, and I feel yeah. like I've seen like a small evolution of it, but it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I had this kind of like a, we. I did the photo shoot, and I'm like, and I did the traditional shot, and I'm mm-hmm. like, let's just do this one for fun. And I and then I asked a few people around me. I was like, "You think this is okay?" And they're like, "Yeah." No, I feel like everybody was like, "Dad, do it." So two years now, when we take the pictures of my son before school, uh, you know the the picture, you know first day of school picture. Yeah. Um, Carson does that. The m- finger mimics me. You know? Dude, he's gonna crush you at fantasy football in like three years. Oh, man, he's gonna smoke he's you. His first year at fantasy football. But with that. Uh, thank you again for this, and Owen, oh, no, we see you, us man. out today. I appreciate it. On behalf of Denless Bertrand, Rhea Radio, and Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dashner. You've been listening to Chris, the reforming control freak, Coleman. <laughs> Signing <Same> off. off. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>